This episode, Justice League International, number 13, cover dated May 1988. Hello! Welcome to the 13th episode of Justice League International, Wahaha Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. My name's the Irredeemable Shag, and I'm your host. But guess what? Today I have brought along a friend. Well, <laughs> I call him a friend. He's really more of an acquaintance. Well, actually, he's more like this guy I know from the internet, and you know how reliable the internet is. Anyway, each episode, I, I invite a different guest to help me tackle an issue of JLI. My co-host today is going to help me tackle two comics. What? Two comics? Yes, that's right, folks. It's time for a crossover with the Suicide Squad. And if we're talking about the Suicide Squad, then you know I've invited the only man too filthy for Task Force X. Folks, please help me welcome the head behind the Headcast Network and the host of the Task Force X podcast, Mr. Aaron Moss. Welcome to the Embassy, Aaron. Thanks for being here. Hey, Shag. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, it's the first time here at the Embassy. Um, I know you guys have been doing this for a while. You've had the Fire Network podcast for a while. First time being invited over, but I appreciate the offer. It's only been a couple of years now since I started my shows. So I've had you on, but that's all right. That's, that's all right. I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? Let's move away from that nastiness. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm better as a guest a lot of times. And, you know, I'd like to go over to other people's house and mess up their house rather than have them over to mine. And by the way, while we're at it, please keep your hands off the furniture. I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> I just, I've heard who sat in your chairs. I'm not touching them. <laughs> <laughs> now, all kidding aside, we're actually recording this over the Internet. And and here's the thing. Your, your audio is a little strange. Like I hear a bit of an echo. Are you like in a, I don't know, like a like a small room or something? Where, where are you? Uh, you could say that. Um, I guess it's time for confession. I'm uh, actually, how do I say this? I'm, I'm crashing in your sub-sub, sub-basement of your embassy. What, you're, you're here in the building? Well, underneath the building, a couple floors down. I've been here since you guys built it. Is this like one of those 80s movies where they call and they say, he's calling from inside the house? Some way, you know, I used to stay at the pit because I got my G.I. Joe Romer can headcast. Yeah. I was staying there, but there was some sort of allegations saying that I was peeking in on CoverGirl in the shower. Yeah. Uh, since then, I've been Skyping in my show, and I stay at Bell Rev, but Amanda scares the crap out of me. So I heard you guys were building the embassy for the Just League International Bohaha podcast. I figured, why not? I, I moved in. Well, that is only remotely creepy. Um, I think I'm going to have to give Fire and Ice a heads up to watch out while they're in the shower now, sounds like. Hmm. What's that? I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yes, uh, you may want to do that. <clears throat> well, on that lovely non-creepy note, we're going to move on, folks, to... <laughs> We're going to take a second to thank our sponsors. Folks, this episode of the JLI Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, each episode, we're going to select a collected edition to briefly discuss from the InStockTrades library, usually to be tied into this month's issue of JLI in some way, shape, or form. For me, personally, I chose Suicide Squad Trade Paperback Volume 2, The Nightshade Odyssey. Woo, this is good stuff, folks. This is, John, you know, obviously, John Ostringer, Luke McDonald, other folks. This is collecting Suicide Squad number 9 through 16 and Justice League International number 13, which we're covering today, plus the Doom Patrol Suicide Squad special. I mean, it's some awesome comics right there. It's really phenomenal stuff. Page count 272, full color, only $19.99 normally, but you get it 42% off, $11.59. And if you haven't read these comics, you're a fool, ladies and gentlemen. You're a fool, and mark that on your grave as Deadshot puts a bullet
bullet through your head. So, all right. Aaron, do you, did you happen to bring an Insock Trades recommendation? Well, yeah, actually, yes, I did. I, 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 I listened to the show. I listened to your Fire & Water Network feed. So I know the guests should bring a recommendation. And I, too, brought the Suicide. Of course, I'm going to bring the Suicide Squad trade paper. But since you did that one, <laughs> you know what? I'm the guest, and you think I cover the Suicide Squad. You think I would bring that one? Oops. But you know what? I am an Eagle Scout. I am prepared. Ooh. I also brought another one with me just in case. Because, again, I listen to the show, and I know how you operate, sir. Uh, <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. And for I brought in. <laughs> I brought in the tra- Deadshot Beginnings trade paperback. It's the bullet-ridden 1980s tale. Deadshot goes on a solo mission to kill a crime boss known as El Jefe, only to learn that the men who sent him on the mission have alternative motives. This collects Deadshot 1 through 4, Batman 369, and Detective Comics 474. This was written by John Ostender. Artist was Luke McDonald. The cover was by Luke McDonald. Uh, it's 160 pages. Again, regularly $14.99. But if you go to in-stock trades, you can get it for $8.69. That's a whopping 42% off. And I have to say, this Deadshot miniseries, I'm uh, in the process of finishing up on my uh, Task Force X podcast, mm-hmm. and this is a great series. If you love The Suicide Squad, it's written by the same guy. It's got the same artist on it. It's a great book. I definitely recommend going out and picking that up. Dude, that series was exceptional. I mean, I remember how great it was at the time. I remember the awesome trade dress, like on the covers with the the numbers, the the, yes. they had the issue number as part of the cover. I mean, wow. Yeah, that was fantastic. Oh, such a good comic. Now, I don't know the Batman and the detective issues. I guess those are tied into uh, either his origin or, or some great adventure with Deadshot. But yeah, the Deadshot miniseries alone is worth it, man. For $8.69, it's a steal, man. Absolutely. Yeah, I believe that's when he, when he I believe when he showed back up in his traditional costume. Oh, that'd be the Marshall Rogers stuff then, maybe. I'm not sure. No mistake. I, I looked it up the other day, because, again, I just covered these on my own show, and uh, I'm like, you know what, which which books are these? So I looked them up, and I glanced through them. Yeah, they're earlier adventures from the, I think, ones from the 70s and ones from the early 80s. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Well, folks, yeah. for these and all your other trade paper needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Oof. Well, uh, if, folks, if you are out on the social medias, please, please you join the conversation. Use our hashtag, which is pound FW podcast, or you can tag us at JLI podcast. And, uh, you know what? The, really what the purpose of the show is about building a community of online JLI fans. We want to bring JLI fans together, celebrate the book, and, and, and really have a great time hanging out together. And we want to hear your comments. Let us know what you think about Suicide Squad, this issue. Let us know what you, you know about, think about JLI. Let us know what you think about creepy Aaron living in the basement watching people at night. It's scary stuff. But we want to hear your thoughts. Please let us know. I'm, I'm excited about this crossover. This is the first time we've covered a crossover here on the show. And we're covering two issues. So this is actually a little bit of an experiment. We're going to see how this goes. Because in a year's time from now, we are going to get to Justice League. Well, technically, I get somewhere in there becomes Justice League of Justice League America. And we'll have Justice League America and Justice League Europe being published simultaneously. We're going to start covering two issues per month. We're going to have a segment with JLA with one guest and a segment with JLE with another guest. And so this will be one of the first times we do two issues. We're going to see if we can get through this and not make it a four-hour podcast. That's my plan. (laughs) 
But first thing we need to do is uh, talk with Creeper here and uh, find out a few things about your own personal origin. Think of this as a police interrogation, Aaron, if you would, please. Not the first time. <laughs> I, I imagine not. Not going to be the last either. So what is your own personal origin story with the JLI? How did you discover the book and uh, what made you fall in love? I've actually never heard of this series before. Oh, my no. gosh. Perfect timing. <laughs> no, as I've talked about on my own shows, I didn't get in. I'm, I'm a late bloomer when it comes to comics. Uh, I didn't get into comics until I was about 17 actually buying them regular. When most people are getting out chasing girls, I am chasing comics. <laughs> explains my high school years. But that's another story entirely. Uh, I actually started reading Justice League International, I think it was issue 16 or so. And then I quickly backtracked the, the earlier issues and got them all. And from when I started buying it, I just kept buying the entire run. Uh, also in the stands at that time was, I think it was the second annual and issue 15. So I picked them all up around the same time. And like I say, within the next year, I was buying most DC and Marvel titles. In fact, I would joke with my comic shop owner that I'd go to that, you know, I'm just signing my paychecks over to them. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, I've always been a fan of comics and or superheroes. Before I started collecting hardcore, a friend of mine gave me a, a big box of pre-crisis comics. And some of the books in there was the Detroit League. Oh, yeah. Which haters going to hate, but I love those books. Good answer, sir. That will keep <laughs> you on the call that much longer. So that's what I fear. I'm not a kiss up. But, uh, <laughs> but no, seriously, I thought the Detroit League, I, like, I didn't buy it when it was coming out, so that may have been. But I also, I also love the Trial of the Flash, so it doesn't say much about me. We <laughs> and I bought that in back issue, so I didn't have to sit there month after month. <laughs> Well, I will, I will say in your defense, though, you're also obviously you're a fan of the Task Force X. Yes. You're a fan of G.I. Joe. You're yes. also a fan of some guy whose head's on fire that I happen to be a bit of a fan of, a guy named Firestorm. So you've got oh, some good taste in there. Yes, yes. I, you know, Firestorm, the Atom, uh, Starman. Oh, that's right. Will yeah. Starman, will Payton, and also Manhunter. Will Payton, Starman, and Mark Shaw, Manhunter, two of my favorites from the, what, the 90s. Yeah, absolutely. Late 80s, early 90s. Yep. As far as when, you know, why did I fall in love with the Just League International? My question is, have you read it? Between the humor, the character pieces, this, the Just League International, Just League America, Just League Gear, it was a fantastic series. And, and if you loved fun comics, you couldn't help but love this book. Well said, sir. Well said. All right. So then who are some of your favorite characters? Try and narrow it down to uh, like one to three for me here. Okay, well, I'm going to have to go with some of the, the standbys. And again, unlike most of your guests, I will keep this as two characters, uh, Blue and Gold. Oh, my gosh. You people, can't, gold. you people can't count. Blue and Gold is two people. I've been having no, this fight with people for months. I know. I'm separating those as two different people. That's two, I, you said one, one to three. Oh, that's okay. the first two, okay. Blue and Gold. That's one and two. And again, I didn't, I didn't read their individual series until much later. I fell in love with them and discovered them here in the Justice League International. And then my third choice would be Mr. Miracle. Nice. I've bought a lot of the New Gods books. I, I, I somewhat enjoyed them, but out of all of them, Mr. Miracle is, in my opinion, far the best of the New God material. I was say, especially that series he had in the, uh, what was the late 80s, early 90s with him and Barda. Mm -hmm. trying, trying to have a, a home life. That, that was fantastic. Yeah. Well, it's, it starts off by written by J.M.D. Mateus for the first seven or right. so issues, so it's definitely in the the same wheelhouse as this. And and I gotta agree, Scott's definitely the most relatable of the new gods. I mean, he's the character that yes. we can latch on to. Absolutely. And he's not a spaceship either, so. <laughs> No, he's not one of the forever people, my the accursed space hippies. <laughs> you know, I, I sit back and I wonder sometimes, like, there used to be a lot of talk about doing a blue and a gold series, like their own right. series for Booster. But I wonder, you know, gosh, I wonder what the, how that would have turned out. That would have just been oh, so, I, my, my mind just goes to, like, you know, Marvel what-if scenarios of just how awesome that would have been. You know, I would have bought it. 
because that would have been a great book. And if, and if I was smart, I would have had some sort of skit plan because the way I just set that up sounded like kind of a Conan O'Brien moment where you hear the harp go, <laughs> I, got no, I got nothing, folks. I'm just daydreaming going, oh, that comic would be great. So, anyway. And before we move on, real quick, I have an honorable mention. I did say one to three, but again, I am from a small town in California. I can't count. I do have an honorable mention of Dr. Fate. Very I nice. I said Dr. Fate some love, especially that, that area period with the. Uh, when I started reading, it was the Linda and Eric Strauss, Dr. Fate, when he was a him, and then he switched to a she, and back mm-hmm. and forth. That was a great series, and Dr. Fate didn't do a whole lot in the book, in the Justice League International book, but he was a member for a short period of time, so that's why he's an honorable mention, because, you know, I love that, that period of Dr. Fate. It's absolutely great. Now, uh, to pull back the curtain just a bit, we do have a, a document that we're working from that we sort of share, so I can see Aaron's notes and he can see mine, except for the blah ha award. We keep that a secret. I, I misread your notes. I thought it said the Honorable Dr. Fate, like he was, like he was, you know, like a judge or something. And I was like, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm perfectly okay with that. <laughs> I remember that book, but what the heck? Right, exactly. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, since we're talking about comics from the 80s that we love, why don't we step into the next segment that I like to call... Monitor Duty. And these are other comics that are on the shelves the same month featuring JLI members. So, we're looking at Justice League International, number 13, which was on sale January 12th, 1988. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. 12 days into the new year. Look at that. And uh, other titles on the shelves featuring JLI members in January 1988. If we look at full team appearances, we would look at first Martian Manhunter number one, which I guess if I step back and think about it, I think, er, I hope I'm not forgetting anything, I think this is the first spinoff of JLI. Hmm. Uh, You may be right. I'm going to go with that for now in case I've stupidly forgotten something that I've talked about earlier in the series. (laughs) But either way, Martian Manhunter by J.M. DiMatteis and Mark Badger. And the the Manhunter from Mars, in in the story, he's re-exploring his origin and discovering much of what he thought to know was actually false. And uh, the JLI do make cameo appearances in here. And for more information on The Martian Manhunter, check out the Idlehead of Diablo podcast by Diablo Frank. And we did talk about this miniseries a little bit when we covered uh, the annual number one of Justice League. Frank had a lot to say about, well, it's Frank, so he had a lot to say about a lot of things. But this series did come up. Of course it did. Uh, the next book is Firestorm number 71. Woohoo! Woohoo! By John Ossinger and Joe Brzezowski. Firestorm versus the Flying Dutchman of Time, featuring the JLI in a tiny panel in flashback. Yeah, you know what? It's Firestorm, so it still counts. <laughs> and for, you know, I'm not going to argue about having that in here. <laughs> no, of course not. And for more on Firestorm, you can check out oh, there's some sort of what is it, Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water podcast by Rob Kelly and some other guy, the irreplaceable shag carpet or something. The irreplaceable. <laughs> wow. I like that. That's nice. That's nice. I, I I feel like you're classing up the joint. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> I stayed up all night trying to think of that line. So, you I know. can imagine you did all night in the basement, you know, the sub, sub, sub basement pacing back and forth around the boiler. All right. Uh, also, The Weird. We talked about this last month. Weird. The Weird issue number two is out on the shelves at this point by Jim Starlin and Bernie Wrightson. <sighs> Bernie Wrightson. <laughs> Second issue in this four-issue miniseries featuring the JLI. And for more on the weird, check out our buddy Professor Allen on the Quarter Bin Podcast. He recently covered the whole weird series. That's, that's <laughs> kind of funny. He covered the whole series of the weird on a recent episode of the Quarter Bin Podcast. Then as far as once we start breaking down into the individual members, uh, Batman, you might have heard of that guy. He's on the team. He had it in his own series. Might come as a shock to you. But Batman number 419 was on the shelves by Jim Starlin and Jim Aparo. This was Ten Nights of the Beast Part 3. And this one is infamous, infamous, because this is the issue, sorry, spoiler, 30 years later, where KG Beast cuts off his own hand. Ah! 
Then uh, also Detective Comics number 585 by John Wagner and Alan Grant and Norm freaking Brayfogle. And it's Batman versus the Ratcatcher? Yeah, the Ratcatcher. Oh, well. <laughs> And for more information on Batman during this era, check out our network's own Batman Nightcast by Chris Franklin and Ryan Daly, both past guests of this show. And then also on the shelves was Blue Beetle, number 24, for the last time, folks. This was the final issue of that series by Len Wein and Don Heck, who came in to finish up the art chores. Blue Beetle in a final confrontation with Carapax. That's right, everyone's favorite character, Carapax. As you scratch your head going, looking into your who's who going, who's Carapax? Exactly. For more on Blue Beetle, please check out the Beatlemania podcast with Jay Jones and Tim Wallace, former guest of this show, or the Court Industries blog, also by Tim Wallace. Also this month, we had Captain Adam number 14 by Kerry Bates, Craig Wiseman, and Pat Broderick. That guy sounds familiar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's Captain Adam and Nightshade beginning their relationship. Nightshade from the Suicide Squad. Uh, for more on Captain Adam, check out Jay Jones' coverage on the Silver and Gold podcast and the Splitting Adams blog. Now, if, if I understand right, um, th- the way this works is Captain Adam and Nightshade had a fake relationship, right? Like their cover identities were in a re- relationship, but they weren't really. Is that correct? No, they had they had some sort of relationship a little bit in the Suicide Squad book. It was briefly hinted at a little bit, but it, was, it wasn't a serious thing, from what I recall. Then this issue uh, confuses re- the hell out of me. Then when we get to the <laughs> point, then but, well, and that's part of the, what it was. I think because originally in the Golden Age, back with uh, Charlton, when they first started out, Captain Adam and Nightshade, uh, I'm sorry, Nightshade appeared in Captain Adam's book. And, and, and that would be the Silver Age, sir. You just offended everyone who remembers these books, but go ahead. I'm sorry, man. Sorry, I'm back too far back in time. <laughs> Again, I didn't read those stories because I was in, in the comics then, but anyways. But yeah, back in uh, the Charlton days, let's leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a nice save. I'm, I'm not cutting any of that out. I'm going to leave you looking like a buffoon, which is pretty appropriate. But anyway, go ahead. I'm, I'm used to it. And then when DC got a hold of the characters, and me and uh, I think it was Ryan talked about this here a couple months back on my Task Force X podcast. They they kind of said all those stories happened as as uh, fake stories, as Captain Adam's fake backstory. Yes, that's correct. I read this Captain Adams series. I don't remember a lot of Nightshade in there offhand. I do remember there were some hints that they did have was trying to get a relationship or they were hinting at some sort of actual relationship besides the cover stories. Okay. All right. Also this month was this uh, Action Comics 599. Uh, the only reason I mentioned that was because the issue before this one was the first appearance of Checkmate. Oh. Which is a part of the Task Force X, which I covered back in my Task Force X uh, episode number 17 with uh, a certain Michael Bailey. I think you've heard of that guy. Past guest of this show as well. (laughs) Also this month was Checkmate number two, speaking of Checkmate, and Suicide Squad number 12. I don't care about that one. I know you don't. That's, wait, number I, wait, that's n- number twelve. I thought number, number thirteen. 12? Well, th- this story continues in a Suicide Squad number thirteen, which is on sale the next month. Ah, look at that. They're okay, crossing lines there a little bit. I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay, fair enough. Well, speaking of slipping into the future, why don't we take a podcast promo break, and when we come back in the future, we will begin our coverage of Justice <laughs> League International number thirteen and Suicide Squad number thirteen. Hey, I'm Jen. And I'm Sean. We're here to tell you about our podcast, Worst Collection Ever. And this is the show where we tell you about the worst comic book collection in existence. And it just happens to belong to us. We have some of the worst comics from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. They're bad. They don't, they're not worth anything. No good. Why do we Very own them? Bad. 
I own a number of issues of Terror Inc. and Guy Gardner. Basically, we go around to local comic book stores and we buy everything we can out of dollar boxes. We tell you about the weird stuff in them. We tell you about stuff that's related to them. We go into tangents. And we're very uninformed, so... Oh my god, totally. But totally check out our podcast because you'll hear us just talk and joke about Marvel books and DC books from God only knows when. That's right. It's our show, Worst Collection Ever, every Tuesday on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. Download, rate, subscribe, tell a friend. It'll be good and terrible, but good. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, 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 feels good. Feels good. Hello, greetings, and hi there. This is the Head Speaks Podcast. Hey there, true believers. Welcome to the Task Force X Headcast. G.I. Joe, the real American Headcast, is the code name for Aaron's daring, highly trained Headcast. Hello there, my name is Aaron Moss, and this is the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. Did you have to do Hello, my name is Alexis Mox. This is my show called Alexis Beat. And all of these shows can be found on the Headcast Network. Look for it on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Also on Facebook by looking for the Headcast Networks. All of the great headcasts that you love on one convenient feed. Look for it. The Head cast network see you there and we're back folks and uh as we are going through these issues please head out to our website which is firewaterpodcast.com go up to the shows tab look for the jli podcast and you can actually see images from these comics on our website in fact uh it's going to be pretty important when we start talking about the covers it'll be very nice to see them side by side right there on the website so definitely go to firewaterpodcast.com slash jli and you'll be able to follow along with some of the images we're not going to publish a whole comic but we're going to publish you know various panels here and there various ones that we get hung up on or want to talk about or maybe we just want to look at nightshades but you know whatever <laughs> and i say that for a reason we'll get to that i promise yeah. i'm not uh, just being sexist i mean i'm normally quite sexist but i'm not just being sexist very much time. so yes all right great <laughs> Well, Aaron, why don't you tell us a little bit about these comics and when they were published? So we have Just League International number 13 and Suicide Squad number 13, both by DC Comics. The cover date was May of 1988. The Just League International, that was on sale January the 12th, 1988. And as I mentioned up earlier, the Suicide Squad was on sale the next month. February the 2nd of 1988. The cover price was 75 cents, and the covers was by Steve Liloa and Al Gordon. You know, that had to be kind of a tough two or three weeks waiting for the next uh, part of that crossover. That'd be brutal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially, yeah, definitely. Unless I didn't buy these when they first came out. Right. I can imagine, yeah, waiting for these. Well, I'll do my best to describe this because you had to describe on your your show previously, so I'll, I'll give you a, a bit of a break here. So on the Justice League cover, you were looking at the backs, like actual, they're like literally their backs of the Justice League members as they're leaping into battle versus the Suicide Squad. So facing you is like Rick Flag and Javelin and Captain Boomerang and Bronze Tiger of the Suicide Squad, and you see the backs of Batman and Guy Gardner and Blue Beetle and Mister Miracle. And now, what makes this really cool is uh, you go over to the Suicide Squad crossover, which came out two or three 
three weeks later, and you're looking at the exact same scene by the exact same artist, except it's flipped. Now you're looking at the backs of the Suicide Squad characters I just mentioned, and you see coming at you Batman and Guy Gardner and Martian Manhunter and Mr. Miracle. And uh, so you're actually seeing the exact same battle, the exact same poses, same artists, everything. It's just you're looking at it from two different sides of the battle, which is actually a pretty cool concept. And I think Steve Lealoha, uh pulls it off pretty well. What do you think of these covers? Overall, I like them. Like I say there's a bit of differences, so it's not the exact opposite. What's different? Because I say on well, I say on the one on the Just League book, you get Bronze Tiger tackling Blue Beetle. Right. And on the Just League book, uh, those two are not in there. And instead, you have Deadshot at Javelin's feet, which you wouldn't be able to see on the Just League book because the, the bar tag uh, is down there at the bottom. And then also down there is Martian Manhunter, which we don't see, which, you know, I would understand because he would kind of be blocking the view. Well, Blue Beetle's blocking the view of Martian Manhunter. Maybe. Maybe. It doesn't work, doesn't work one for one, but it's pretty <laughs> darn close. Okay, I'll give you that. The, the, the part with Martian Manhunter is a bit of a, a bit of a problem, a hiccup. But otherwise, I mean, you look at the placement of Guy Gardner's hand. Right. The rest of it exactly looks... Exactly the same on Javelin's shoulder. You know, Rick Flagg, the way his gun is angled. At Batman, I mean, everything is... The Batman's cape, everything's really links, lines up nicely. Yeah, otherwise, I say, then that's not really so much a, a, uh, a diss on the book, because I think that both are great covers for the most part. My only other issue is, I don't know, Guy Gardner looks, looks a little... looks like a doof. Yeah. <laughs> he looks a little weird on this cover, right? Yeah. I, I would say that the Justice League cover comes off better yes. than the Suicide Squad. Because the, Just, the, the Suicide Squad people are... And actually, it looks a lot like Luke McDonald art to me, but I know it's Steve Lealoha and Al Gordon, but, um, you know, Rick Flagg looks great. Er, you know, the Suicide Squad members are all very late 80s, early 90s. <laughs> you know, and they're all looking very angry. And when you see the Justice League side, yeah, like... As you mentioned, Guy Gardner looks ridiculous. It doesn't look like Guy at all. It just looks like Opie with a bad haircut. <laughs> and and something's there's something about the way Steve Lealoha draws Mr. Miracle's mask that just doesn't sit well with me. It's something about the eyes. I can't I can't put my finger on it. Maybe someone else maybe it looks a little bit too much like cat eyes. I don't know what it well, is. But to something me, doesn't part of it. Usually his mask is pretty form fitting. Right. Here it looks like maybe a little loose. Mm, okay. Yeah. He's got the yeah, lines underneath the eyes, and it makes it look like it's, it's not quite snug on his head is what it looks like to me. That could be it. Maybe that is it. Overall, I do like them quite a bit. I just would say I, a little bit more props to the, the Justice League 1 versus Suicide Squad. Now, take a take a step back from what's just right in front of us and go, oh, we don't have Kevin Maguire doing our covers. That is a huge disappointment. Because, I mean, Kevin Maguire would have done something astonishing with this. But, right. Kevin's stepping back. He's done the 12 issues. He's going to be off for a couple of months. Like the next month when we do JLI, it's not going to be Kevin McGuire. It's going to be these artists, this cover artist, Steve Lealoha, is going to be actually drawing the Justice League book for a little while. We just have to uh, take a breath and learn to cope <laughs> with a change. Someone has moved our cheese. We're going to be okay. So <laughs> Overall, I think they're fun, and you'll be able to see these two covers side by side on our website. So definitely check that out. Well... Aaron, I think it's time to get into Justice League. Let's do it. The plotter and penciler was Keith Giffen. The scripter was J. Mark DiMatteis. The inker was Al Gordon. Letterer Bob Laplin. Colorist Gene D'Angelo. And editor Andy Heffler. The title of this was Collision Course. Uh, I first covered this in episode 23 of Task Force X back in July 14th of 2016 with Paul Hicks. So I get to take another look at this great book. Oh, that was Paul Hicks? Yeah, it was Paul Hicks. I thought that was Crocodile Dundee. I think it's his brother. Oh, okay. They're all all related down there. It's all criminals, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's not like anyone else listens to this show, so you're safe. (laughs) I'm in so much trouble. (laughs) 
Anyway, back to our story. Uh, we're going to start our story somewhere in the Soviet Union, where a Mr. Tresser, a.k.a. Nemesis, is being held prisoner, which is an old holdover from a Suicide Squad story. We then cut to the JLI New York Embassy, where Batman is listening to a news report about said nemesis being held in Soviet custody. The next page, we show Amanda Waller talking with Rick Flagg, denying his request to go in and free their teammate, Nemesis. Flagg and Nightshade decide to ignore the wall, and they take the team to break their teammate out. Meanwhile, Batman is expressing his concerns to the Rocket Red. He knows Tresser, and that he's no villain. Back at Bel Rev, Flag is gathering a group to go on a rescue mission consisting of Vixen, Captain Boomerang, Deadshot, Bronze Tiger, Duchess, and Javelin, along with Nightshade. After lying to get an aircraft, they take off. Phil, the man on the ground that's in charge of the planes, call Economos, who calls Waller, who calls Raven. Each one starts their conversation with, he did what? <laughs> Waller t- talks Reagan into sending the Justice League International to stop the Suicide Squad from causing an international incident. At this point, Batman is trying to convince the team to go free Nemesis, where most of the team is resisting. Meanwhile, Oberon gets a call from the president telling him that they need to go to Russia to stop the Suicide Squad. John calls a Russian embassy chief to alert them of their arrival, who then calls the chairman. Different Russian agents sends in the Rocket Reds and Red Star to protect the prisoner. At the prison, Dimitri, which is the Justice League International's Rocket Red, gets them access to Nemesis, who they find beaten to a bloody pulp. As they discuss what to do, our team, okay, my team, the Suicide Squad, shows up <laughs> while the story ends with the three other Russian groups converging onto the prison to be continued in Suicide Squad number 10. What? I mean, number 13. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, that's not Aaron's mistake. That's what the comic says. I left that in there on purpose. <laughs> yep, yep. I like how you said our team. No, no, sir. No, sir. Our team is just like maybe your team yeah. is Suicide Squad. That's I changed fine. Well, to my team. You know, it's... We can have a little team rivalry going on. That's fine. <laughs> All right. I'm going to check Suicide Squad. One. Sorry, what? I said hashtag Suicide Squad. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I guess you got you, you did get a movie first, so yeah. fair enough. All right. All right. Up yeah. next is Suicide Squad number 13. I'm going to do the recap of Suicide Squad. So, writer John Ostrander, penciler Luke McDonald, inker Bob Lewis, letter Todd Klein, colors Carl Gafford, and editor Bob Greenberger. Title of the story is Battle Lines. The issue picks up right where JLI number 13 left off. It's the JLI face-to-face with the Suicide Squad in a Soviet prison. Now, the squad's self-directed mission, remember, was to rescue the American prisoner Tom Tresser, a.k.a. Nemesis. However, everyone in the JLI, except for Batman, they don't even know about the existence of the Suicide Squad. So it just looks to them like a collection of supervillains attacking the prison. Now, we all, keep in mind, we have this goofy version of Guy Gardner still. He is pressing the group for a peaceful solution. Meanwhile, Rocket Red informs everyone of the impending arrival of several Soviet forces, including the People's Heroes from the Outsiders comic. Uh, <laughs> I can't help but laugh at that, sorry. Uh, a squadron of armored Rocket Reds and the hero Red Star. Now, it's about that time that the squad member Duchess starts yelling at Mr. Miracle. Now, if you're a JLI reader, you probably had no idea what this is about. If you're a Suicide Squad reader, you're probably figuring it out. Anyway, Duchess is yelling at Mr. Miracle going, you! I know you! Why do I know you? Now, Duchess is obviously suffering from amnesia, but seeing Mr. Miracle is starting to trigger some sort of memory. As she moves towards Mr. Miracle, Blue Beetle steps in to defend his teammate, which is pretty cool, and he uses her own inertia to flip her in a martial arts style. He flips Duchess, and then it is on like Donkey Kong, folks. It is full-on battle between the squad and 
the Justice League. You've got Blue Beetle versus Duchess. You've got Booster Gold versus Javelin. You've got Guy Gardner versus Captain Boomerang, sort of. You've got Mr. Miracle versus Deadshot. <laughs> Black Canary versus Bronze Tiger. Then you've got Captain Adam versus Nightshade. But really, as we've been talking about, they're both government spies with this cover of them sort of dating. So really, they pretend to battle, but in reality, they're just tickling each other. <laughs> then we get Martian Manhunter. Oh, he confronts Vixen, which actually ends in a very touching and tearful reunion of old friends from the Detroit era of the Justice League. Oh, gets me. Then Dimitri, the Rocket Red, chats with Tom Tresser, the American prisoner, and Batman versus Rick Flag. More on that one in just a minute, folks. Now, we go back stateside, and Amanda Waller is visiting with Maxwell Lord in the hospital. Max wants to blow the lid off the Suicide Squad's covert status, thus making the JLI look even more like heroes. And after a little bit of... Well, how should we say? Eh, basically torture. Yeah. Uh, Max relents to keep quiet and Amanda satisfied. Now, back at the prison, uh, the battle winds down. Dimitri is prepared to help Tom Tresser escape from the prison. He's sort of changed positions. Dimitri says that, uh, though, I can't do a Russian accent, but though rightfully held, he may be, I'm not even going to try, never mind. <laughs> though rightfully held, he may be wrongfully <laughs> slain if he remains. So both teams agree to work together to effect the escape. Though some, like Deadshot, aren't very quick to cooperate as he almost ventilates Mr. Miracle with his guns. Now, the two teams are working together. They stand back and watch the brutal hand-to-hand battle still raging between Rick Flagg and Batman. I mean, this is savage, folks. Like, ultimate fighting-style blows, and it's displayed very effectively in a 12-panel grid. Even when a Batman's pointed, you know, his bat ears to stick up out of his cowl, one of those is actually broken off during the battle, so you know it's serious. So that's like a Kirk ripping his shirt sort of thing. And uh, finally, the team separates the two of them just in time for Rick Flagg to collapse unconscious. He is, uh, his adrenaline, I guess, finally wore off, but he clearly needs to get to a hospital very quickly. Now, to expedite this whole situation and get the squad out of there before the Soviets show up, Nightshade opens a dimensional portal for the Suicide Squad to disappear before they're discovered in the Soviet Union. And when the Russian forces do finally arrive, the JLI reveals their intention is to take Tom Tresser, Nemesis, to their own Russian embassy for further questioning and safekeeping. There's some tension, but the JLI perseveres. Now, back at the JLI vehicle hangar, which I think is just the old secret sanctuary, but anyway, back at the hangar, Martian Manhunter gets on Batman's case, accusing the Dark Knight of using the JLI for his own private vendetta against the Suicide Squad. Batman is outraged. He has had enough, says he's tired of babysitting morons, and he quits the team. Yes, Batman just quit the Justice League, and not even in their own book. He quit the Justice League in the Suicide Squad book. Whoa! What a cliffhanger ending. Huh. So, Aaron, you know, there's a, a lot going on there. What did you think? I'm going to cut to the chase. Overall, I really enjoyed this, these two issues. Again, it's Justice League International, it's Suicide Squad. They're going against one another. How could you go wrong? Right. Uh, I don't know. It's just great books. Starting off the first page... I really like that first scene there where they're talking, not the first scene on the page there, they're talking that they're going to be, he's going to, uh, Tresser's going to be executed a month after a fair trial. He's going to be a fair trial. No, we're going to execute you. Wait a minute. <laughs> That's a good example of a lot of the, like, you know, because the, the way this was written, you know, the Suicide Squad appears a lot in the JLI book. So there's a lot of that JLI humor in the Suicide Squad book. Now, how did you feel about that going into it? Because, I mean, it's it's a definitely different look at the Suicide Squad with all the gags. Did that did that feel, maybe not natural, but was that okay, or did it feel a little weird? What did you think? Uh, being a Justice League book, I know what I'm getting into. Okay. So, uh, to me, again, I didn't buy these when it first came out, but I went and picked it up shortly thereafter, and I, th- I thought the, the amount of humor 
for being tied into the Suicide Squad was appropriate. You okay. showed your Just League humor, but I think we showed now maybe just a little bit. But you know, it fits in more with the the dirtiness, the the air quotes realism of the Suicide Squad. Yeah, and it's definitely the flip. When you get to the Suicide Squad issue, there's a lot less of the humor, right. a lot more of the of the gritty sort of thing. And it's it's interesting to see the JLI in a more heroic capacity, you know, in that in the in the Suicide Squad issue. But I guess we can get to that in a bit. So you you keep going. Another thing I want to comment on the art overall in this book: the artwork in here is different than what we normally get in the Justice League International. Oh yeah, it's it's not Luke McDonald, but I, I think. Well, Giffen did the pencils and uh, Gordon did the inks. I I don't know if they were trying to kind of ape Luke McDonald, but seeing how this book crosses over into the Suicide Squad, I thought the artwork on this book was... Uh, well, normally I enjoy the normal four-color, as I call it, superheroes. I like the way this book kind of tied into the Suicide Squad with the more, again, air quotes, realistic artwork. Yeah, Keith Giffen, you know, Keith Giffen doing this issue, which was a huge departure from Kevin McGuire. I mean, we'd seen Giffen do a couple backups, but right. yeah, it really does fit much better with Suicide Squad than, than McGuire would have. So it's a nice fit. It does work thematically. Uh, this is kind of Giffen going through a little bit of what people refer to as his McGuire phase, where he's actually, he, you know, being an artist all these years, he was actually inspired by his own coworker, Kevin McGuire, and he starts getting into a lot more, you know, visual stuff, doing a lot more with the faces, like, you know, Kevin McGuire is the master of facial expressions. We start to see Keith Giffen do more and more with facial expressions in these stories, too, uh, and he'll continue to uh, expand that as the years go on in the 80s and 90s. But, yeah, I agree. I think the art works really well. There's a lot of dark, shadowy stuff, like Giffen liked to do during this period, and it's, it's very complicated memory for the squad. It also it reminds me, I don't know if it started yet or not, but the, the five years later, uh, Legion... Not yet, but soon. It does. It starts in, I want to say, 89, if I remember correctly. That's why I say it starts sometime right after this. And I see Giffen's art going from here to the what he did in the five year later. Yeah. And, and speaking of, you, you mentioned uh, Luke McDonald and you talk about Keith Giffen and all that. I, you know, it's not mentioned in the credits, but I got to think there's like, there should be co plotting credits here for each other and each other's book. Like, I mean, obviously, they must have come together to plot this thing out. It's too seamless. It works too well. It's not like a DC challenge where they hand the story off and go, you figure out how to end it. You know, it's clearly they should have had like, you know, this issue should have been co-plotted by uh, Ostrander and then the other issue should have been co-plotted by, you know, the Suicide Squad was shown to co-plotted by Giffen and Dimatteis. But I, either way, lo- I love how seamless it works. Yeah, that's the thing I wonder is, is how closely the two, because like you said, it's not like one, it, it may have been and if so, they're doing a fantastic job, but I doubt if one wrote their issue, the other one just had notes to go off of. I'm sure they they had to collaborate a little bit more than a lot of others would oh, to make yeah. this so oh, seamless. Yeah. Uh, going along in here, uh, I like here on page two, and again, we don't keep this in four hours. I'm not going to go page by page, but I do need to mention here where uh, Batman's talking to himself about how uh, Tester's a good man. He knows he's not doing, he's not doing anything bad. And uh, Oberon's like, who are you talking to? Myself. Yourself? Okay, I'm going to go now. Give me coffee. You need anything? Coffee, tea, a good psychiatrist. What was that? I see. I said my feet are killing me. Got to see a good podiatrist. <laughs> and, then, and then on the very next page, they use that joke. With Flag and the uh, with uh, Rick Flag and Waller, and he's you know basically the same thing. She's getting on to Flag, telling him you know I, you know you can't go on this mission. I don't like your tone. And Flag's like, you know, lady, you need a good psychiatrist. What did you say? Peter, gotta find me a good psychiatrist. So I just yep. love the way those that joke works on both. And again, I, as we talked about, the Suicide Squad book wasn't a humor book like the Just League book was. 
but I found this humor to be very fitting for it. Mm-hmm. And I like the repeated panel there, too. So you get four panels right in a row. And it's yeah. just the repeated – it's the same exact panel repeated, but it's uh, of Rick Flagg on the phone. He's like actually holding the phone away from his ear because she's screaming so much. And uh, it just is, it's effective showing his sort of disinterest in the conversation by showing the exact same panel repeated four times. Looks good. Yeah, I wonder if he's spinning the phone or what he's doing there with his hand. It's kind of – not quite sure what his hand's doing there with the phone, but – I guess that's another story entirely. <laughs> that's a good point. I, I always assumed he was holding the phone away because she's just screaming at him. I don't know. Maybe it's more like a tone it down lady kind of hand. I don't maybe, know. Maybe because it's just it looks like he's holding by the cord, so the phone's kind of hanging there. I don't know. Yeah. I like it. Don't get me wrong, but it just maybe maybe wonder. Fair question. I, I do like Giffen's Batman. Like I like you know on page three where you see Batman and he's sitting in monitor duty. You can't see his eyes at all. It's just right. a complete black cowl. And then on, uh, it, in later, we'll see another shot of him on, uh, I'm not jumping ahead on you here, but, well, I guess oh, we have anybody, but on page five, we see Batman again. It's just, he's, he's real lean. It's just his cowl that the shading is different than you normally see. You normally see the shading on the top of Batman's cowl, but here it's just over the eyes. It just, Giffen is a real way with Batman at this point, and Batman looks great. And then further for more of the, the Just League humor that they're trying to interject here because of the writers on this, they're talking about how they're trying to, how they can do this mission with, you know, the Waller telling them not to. And as they're walking away, Nightshade's like, hey, we could kill her before we leave. She'll never know. <laughs> and Rick's like, hmm. And she's like, that was a joke flag. Oh. I was like, <laughs> like oh, damn, I guess so. <laughs> That's definitely some of the, some of the uh, humor. By the way, I meant to mention this. In the in-stock trades ads uh, that we did earlier, what I wanted to pick was uh, the Suicide Squad volume that was written by Keith Giffen, which was very much uh, like this, basically. It was a version of the Suicide Squad. Killer Frost was on the team, and Keith Giffen wrote the series. And it's funny. It's like Justice League International and Suicide Squad met. So it's very much like this and this kind of humor. And it, it's when Sergeant Rock was running the team and everything. Mm. Really, really good. But alas, they are not reprinting it, and they really should. It was a very good series. I need to reread that. I, I, it was different than what the Suicide Squad I, I loved was, so I, I wasn't as big of a fan of it. But I think I need to go back and reread it because I've got it. I just need to go back and reread it now. I've had some time, and I've matured, in air quotes, a little bit. <laughs> well, part of it is, and I agree, when I first read it, I wasn't a big fan of it either. And then it clicked. Then I realized, wait a minute, they're doing some sort of hybrid of Just League International humor with the Suicide Squad. And once that clicked in place, I loved that series every minute of it. It just was an absolute hoot. It's definitely worth uh, checking or giving a, a revisit to. Yeah, I'll definitely need to check that out. Moving on, the next thing I really have to comment on is, again, I love Dimitri in the Justice League and his, his uh, I guess we'll call it his English. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's coming. He's talking to Batman, and he's like, "Hokey smoke." Did you just say "hokey smoke"? Are you not familiar with the expression? I learned it from my American favorite TV show. You know, the one with the moose and flying squirrel. Wait, where are you going? Find some aspirin. I've suddenly got a terrible headache. <laughs> Again, great. Great humor. I love this book. It'd be a perfect place for him to mention Boris and Natasha, really. You know, yeah. just, now, I, I want to point out, one of our listeners, a guy named Tim Price, he writes these dissertations every ep episode, which, quite frankly, I helped, uh, I, I read those to my daughter to help her go to sleep at night. But anyway, um, <laughs> Tim pointed out in last episode's feedback, he said that Dimitri is, uh, he, he said, watch Dimitri and Batman's relationship as the series progresses. So now I'm, I'm aware of this. I hadn't thought of this before, and I'm watching it now, uh, thanks to Tim. And so you did make a contribution to Earth, Tim. Congratulations. 
And uh, anyway, Dimitri, I'm so mean to him. Anyway, <laughs> he probably deserves it. Dimitri, Dimitri is completely immune to Batman's like dark night, darkity night, night, night. You know, urban legend mystique. Dimitri just sees Batman as a guy. You know, he sees him as a teammate. He he doesn't have any you know concerns with dealing with Batman on a different level. And I love that now that I see it. He's absolutely right. Dimitri's just like, yeah, Batman, what's up, man? You know, he probably thinks of him as like Bat hyphen man. You know, you know he's, just, he's like a guy. So I like that. I like that. Uh, my next comment I have here, I have two comments for page, uh, I think it's page six. One, as you mentioned briefly earlier, uh, Nightshade, Nightshade's butt. That's okay. Yeah, I'm, that, again, folks, I was being sexist, but there's a there's a reason here. Go ahead. Yeah, here uh, in the middle of the page is a good size panel. We got the Suicide Squad sitting around discussing uh, the mission, and Nightshade comes walking in, and she got her back to us, and she's got a short little skirt, and she's walking, so the skirt's kind of hiked up a little bit. She walks, and, and you can see a little bit of her butt cheek hanging out. More than a little bit. And, and I have. Just- I have to say, not to steal uh, your line, but she's hot. Yeah, oh, absolutely. There's no <laughs> denying that Eve is gorgeous. And uh, she's a lovely woman in all ways, shapes, and forms. But it's just surprising that Giffen, because Justice League hasn't been about sex up to this point, you know? They've made the occasional joke about how attractive Black Canary is, but really the sex has been downplayed. They introduced a little bit of it last issue when Fire got, we saw right. Fire and Ice for the first, or I guess Green Flame and, uh, and Ice Maiden. But uh, it's gonna, it's really going to ramp up soon once Fire's on the team officially. But this is sort of the first indication, like, why, why are we looking at her butt cheek. Why is that, you know, uh, other than obvious reasons? I was going to say, my question is, why not? I know, I know. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it's the, the series is making a little bit of a turn, which isn't a bad thing. It's, they're using cheesecake and sex as part of the humor, and that's okay. Another comment I almost forgot about, and again, if you're not a fan, if you're not a reader of the Suicide Squad, you may not realize this, unless I'm forgetting something, uh, Eve is a blonde, and when she shows up on page four, she's got black hair, much like she does when she's Nightshade. And I know me and uh, Paul Hicks discussed this back on my show. I, I don't know if it was an error on the colorist or if they did it to – because, again, if you're not familiar with the uh, Suicide Squad, you've got a blonde in one panel, and without an explanation, you got this this uh, raven-haired woman walking in. I'm wondering if, if it was a coloring error or if it was just a way to make it easier for the people that don't know the Suicide Squad. I think it's what it was. I think it was visual shorthand. It's sort of like Black Canary, because, you know, Black Canary is the opposite. Black right. Canary, you know, when she's dying, she's got black hair. And when she's Black Canary, she's got blonde hair. But in it's, Unless I'm forgetting something, so far in these 13 issues, we've never seen Dino with black hair. And that is a visual shortcut so that you don't confuse the audience. So That's... I got to assume they're doing the same thing with uh And you can no-prize it away just by saying, you know, Eve was wearing her wig. Right. It's not a problem. So. Yeah, just like I say, being a Suicide Squad fan, I, I read that for the first time. Like, wait, their hair is different than... <laughs> Again, not a problem because, because again, if you're not a fan of the Suicide Squad, if you're not reading the book, again, as you said, shame on you. But <laughs> that does make it easier for people to tell a little bit without an explanation. Yep. Uh, and then also on the same page, Vixen's talking with Captain Boomerang, and she's like, this isn't the way we did in the old Justice League. And Boomerang's like, you're not in the league now, darling. Uh, so making you see Captain Boomerang. <laughs> Again, more of that. that it, it's a little bit of humor, but it also shows that, again, if you're not familiar with a lot of the older books, that Vixen's kind of out of place here. Yeah. I don't want to say out of place, but she's feeling out of place. Well, and she hadn't been on the team very long. In this right. Show, yeah. She just started a couple of issues before this. And I just realized you didn't do those episodes with Crocodile Dundee. You did it with Captain Boomerang. That's right. I remember now. <laughs> like I said, they're all, they're all related down there. I, I can't keep track. What do you expect? Oof. They all look alike to me. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, wow. 
Over on page eight, he says, quickly moving on, I mentioned earlier about Economos, who's with the Suicide Squad, calling Waller, who calls Reagan. Again, I love the way this page is laid out. Uh, you get the nine-panel grid. Uh, the first, the first, fourth, and seventh panel is basically the same panel, but drawn differently. Uh, right. The first one, you get Economos saying, he did, he did what? And then you get Waller, he did what? And then you get Reagan down at the bottom, and you see the picture of the White House. He did what? They're going where? <laughs> Well, then the repeated effect keeps going on, where, like, right. the middle row of panels is people in silhouettes having a fit. The third row is people hitting the, the intercom button or the transfer button, you know, phone call button. So, yeah, it's, right. it's really well structured, really well laid out, and it is funny. It is very funny. And, again, this nine-panel grid, again, is more, I want to say reminiscent, but the book's not out yet, of the five-year oh, yeah. later right. Legion. Yeah, he played around with the nine-panel grid a couple issues ago, too, with Evil Pewter. So, right. So, uh, no doubt about that. Now, I, I, I do love, though, you know, this, this is a good example of Giffen and Dimenteus using their humor and injecting it into a Suicide Squad story, but it really works in these pages because it's all about Amanda Waller's outrage. Right. Which is very much in character for her to be furious and ranting and raving and, and just like, you know, furious as could be. So it fits, their humor works really well here and it fits very nicely. And then we get Reagan uh, talking with Waller and he's messing up everyone's names. Captain Flag, Neurosis... He's JLI, the Jewish organization that was sitting in the JDL, the Justice Detroit League, maybe. I don't know. It's been a long day. I just love the way that Reagan's being portrayed in here. And I know, I know if I'm not mistaken, uh, some writers and artists aren't a big fan, aren't big fans of Republicans. So that may be why they're portraying Reagan. And why kind I don't of think makes- that's the case. Re- Reagan. Even back in the day, regardless of what what side of the fence you were on, he was an easy target. Because first of all, he was he was older, and right. he you know he had a couple verbal faux pas here and there, and, and everyone but everyone loved him. I mean, he was Ronnie. He is the guy yeah. who had jelly beans. Is that I don't know. I did not read this as you know a political hatred of the of the guy. I read this as funny, good natured ribbing that even a Republican could get behind and think was funny. Well, as I said, maybe because I, I I'm on I'm on the fence on this one. Part of me says that just. Again, I've talked to some of these people and seen some of these people on Facebook, so I, I, I kind of that may be influencing me now of what I think. Uh, I think back then I took like what you're talking about, just a good humor poking fun at. Because again, I didn't really, I didn't know these guys outside of their work, so I couldn't really tell you back then. Well, you know, do the are these guys Republicans? Are they Democrats? Or you know, where do they fall as far as political lines? Yeah. Well, keep in mind we're also what um, 1988, so yeah. the the Iran Contra affair and Reagan saying he, you know, I, you know. Not Reagan, but you know the whole trials and forgetting right. stuff, and I mean all that's about this time anyway. So I mean it's you know the guy's been president eight years by this point. People are getting used to picking on him. Saturday Night Live had had a fake day with him. So yeah. Well, I just want to point out like where where Waller's walking away in that scene, and she's going to contact Maxwell Lord, and she goes, "It's been a while, Max," which is great because it it tells you like in that line it tells you everything you need to know about their relationship because before this story, if I remember right, Max and Waller had never met, and it's it, we forget having so much distance from this that the Wall and Maxwell Lord were such fully formed characters. I mean, they were so real, so tangible. We, like, we totally got them that we forget they were only like 12 months old at this point. They hadn't been around but uh, basically a year. Yeah. And uh, in here, we're told, just in that one line, that they have a history together. And we totally believe it right away. It's like, oh, the Wall and Max, that's going to be good. And yet, <laughs> they're both, neither one of them are superheroes. None of them, neither one have powers, at least at this point. They're just two very you know, strong-willed individuals behind the, the, the power behind the power, if you will. Yeah. So, yeah, I think yeah. that's cool. We're very good way to convey that. Uh, on page 11, I like here where 
the Just League team's taken off, and at first, Beetle and Mr. Miracle and Booster Gold's talking, and Beetle's wondering if maybe Batman paid the villains to break into the prison. <laughs> and a couple panels later, Black Canary's talking to him, and she's like, you didn't, you mean you didn't pay those super villains? And I was like, what? Just a little joke. Don't get upset. <laughs> And I like the fact that he had uh, Black Canary, Diana, she's worked with Batman for years. So she, I, I think she, out of this entire team, besides maybe John, is one of the few that would actually approach Batman with that comment. Right. Well, it, it, it's, a, it's like a question. She's just, yeah. Depending how you read it, whether she's being sarcastic or being genuinely surprised. Yeah, she's like, really? You didn't? I thought you totally thought you hired them, which is funny. Very yeah, funny. see, I, I think it's first she meant it seriously, and then you know when Batman seemed to get upset, but uh, just a joke. Don't don't get upset. <laughs> right. You know, and what's going on here though is Batman knows the secret. He knows the Suicide Squad exists, <laughs> and the League has no idea what's going on. But I think Batman's already figured it out, which is you know that's, that's typical for Batman. But that's that's one thing that it's again time plays funny tricks on your brain. It's hard to think like wow, there was a point where the Justice League didn't know the Suicide Squad even existed. Right, so I forget that sometimes I read some of these, because again, I, I've read these years ago, so I forget that like you said, yeah, the Just League hadn't heard of the Suicide Squad yet. Yep. And then, so the next thing I've got here is I go on page 19, where John just has enough of Batman's crap, and just you know tells him, you know, Batman, we worked together for many years, we respect each other, we're friends, but I tell you, and I'm serious this time, if you don't cease this arrogant juvenile behavior, I'll see to it that you're booted out of Russia and off the, out of the Justice League. Meanwhile, you get Blue Beetle and Mr. Miracle in the background. Is he serious? I think he's really serious. <laughs> Yep, there's a great three-panel shot where Batman's thinking it over. That's what I'm looking at right now. (laughs) Yep, and he goes, so, what's the plan, Chief? You know, which works out well. But um, it's almost like Marshman Hunter planted the seed there for Batman to quit. Yeah, and we'll get to that here in a little bit, but... (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, this scene definitely helps build towards the other one, though. I I would be remiss if I didn't mention earlier, there's some funny banter between the Rocket Reds when they're out, it looks like, I don't remember, Siberia or somewhere, and they're off just blasting things, and and they're basically training, you know, and there's some really funny banter between them about religion and about you know what their jobs are and stuff like that and you know catchphrases and it's really really funny and I thought that was very well done just great and then you end this the this comic with or at least the, as far as I'm concerned the comic ends with the Suicide Squad facing down with the Just League International and it's a uh, we see we see the Suicide Squad in full glory uh, we see the backs of the Just League members and we just see John going uh oh. <laughs> Right. And then right. we get, I like Vixen's look on her face like, holy crap. Right. Yeah, she has got to be a stunner for her. I mean, yeah. against, you know, the league. Oh. But yeah, it's a great scene. And then we end with, you know, Max and Amanda's little dialogue. And as I said, the other teams converging on the prison. And then the be continued in the pages of Suicide Squad number 10. That's crazy they just made that mistake. That's yeah, nuts. Uh, I'm curious how that happened because, I mean, it's, they, they were both coming out. They both came out at the same time. So Right. Somebody just messed up. So That's what I'm assuming. I don't think. They were trying to do this unless they were trying to do this sooner and it got pushed back in the Just League book, mate. I don't know, but no, no, that's, I think that's that'd be a mistake. That was all during Millennium, so yeah, yeah. I, I, I gotta say, I do like the fact that the People's Heroes, which again were from the Outsiders comic, uh, Red Star and the Rocket Reds are all in this. There's, there's something just so cool to me about the DC Soviet heroes of that time. Like I, I've talked about this a little bit on our Who's Who podcast. I just really dig them, and I would love to see a story either from their point of view or even maybe like a modern day story where these former Soviet heroes had to come together and, you know, do something for their country again. I just, uh, you know, like a 
major Soviet crossover would be awesome. I would love that. That'd be great. That would that would be interesting. I, I, I'd pay to see that. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, the Justice League issue ends with says, and be back here next issue as guest penciler Steve Lealoha joins Keith, JM, and company for Shop or Die, which, of course, would be a, a hint towards Magna Con. <laughs> so I want to talk about Steve Lealoha for just a second here. <sighs> okay. Uh, it's, I like Steve Lealoha. He has drawn some things over the years that I really, really like, but I'll be upfront and honest and say that I, I just don't feel like his work on JLI is some of my favorites. And we're going to discuss more of that on future episodes, since again, he's drawing next issue. But like, the, we've talked a little bit about the covers, but, uh, he's just, it's, it's not my favorite work. And I don't know that he was the right choice to follow up Kevin McGuire, you know? I have to agree with you. I say, not that he was bad per se, but, yeah, I say he just wasn't, some people, in my opinion, are meant for certain books. Um, like I said, I know you guys on the Who's Who's podcast have talked about Luke McDonald and yep. his artwork. And when you're doing a superhero book like the Justice League, Superman, things like that, I like, as I refer to it, the four-color superheroes, the, the bright, shiny colors. And Luke's artwork is, again, as I call it, in quotes, more realistic. It's darker. It's grimmer. It's dirtier. It, he's perfect for the Suicide Squad. Yes. But I don't think he's a great artist for like a Justice League book or or Superman or something else that's supposed to be more heroic. Well, he he did Justice League Detroit towards the end a little bit. Exactly. I forget about that. Well, I, gosh, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. That's how I remember it, at least. <laughs> I mean, you very well could be. I mean, I, I would defer to your, your knowledge on that, but... That's just rightly so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, I just quit with myself like that. You certainly did. <laughs> and again, maybe it's just, yeah, you loved him on Suicide Squad, but yeah, some of his other stuff I've seen is not quite as good. But anyway, that, that's enough about that, I guess. <laughs> well, one last comment on the Just League issue before we get to Suicide Squad. In the letters page, uh, editor Mark Way does say something that we've known has been coming for a very long time. He does respond to a letter saying, Black Canary has indeed departed from the league. Oh, so sad. And we'll see We'll see the, the actual departure in an upcoming issue, but uh, very, very sad that that's finally uh, a reality. We knew it was coming. You know, we, so far we've lost Captain Marvel, we've lost Doctor Fate, now we've lost Black Canary. I should do one of those things on like Talking Dead that comes on after Walking Dead. You know, <laughs> where they do the like the people we've lost. One of those retrospects. But anyway. <laughs> All right, let's get on to Suicide Squad, buddy. Okay, so starting out with the Suicide Squad, we've already talked about the the cover uh, again. The the first page here. Again, as the covers were the exact opposite, we're kind of in the same position here. We've got the reverse of the last issue ending page. We see the Justice League in their full glory facing off with the Suicide Squad. I love the way, again, the dynamic, that last panel. Again, I'm calling it the last panel when there's a couple of after it. But, you know, it's the Justice League versus the Suicide Squad, and here you get the reverse of that. So I just think it's a great dynamic of those two. Wow. If you look at these pages, I mean, the characters are even mostly laid out the same. Yeah. Like with Rick in the middle, you know, on, on Rick's right, you get Bronze Tiger, and on his left, you get Javelin. It's the same thing in the Justice League comic and in the Suicide Squad comic. And, you know, you, all the characters are kind of in the same places. That's really well coordinated. Dang, yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, you get on the Justice League team, you've got Martian Manhunter, Batman, and Blue Beetle in the front of the line, and same thing basically here. With Rocket right between Martian Manhunter and Batman, yeah, it's, it's again they they've had to have had more than just 
well, here's my notes on the book. You take it over. Right. Because, again, these these books match up so well. Yep. From the art style to the beginning and ending of the books, it's just fantastic. Yeah, as a Suicide Squad member, I guess it would – or not member, but as a Suicide Squad a, a subscriber, this comic would probably be a bit jarring to buy off the shelf, not knowing it's a crossover with Justice League. Now, thankfully, they tell you right in the front that right. this, uh, this will probably be a lot a lot clearer <laughs> once you've read Justice League uh, number 13. You know, it would be a bit, bit jarring. Yeah, if you didn't realize, you're like, well, how did they pop up here? Wait a minute, what's going on here? <laughs> yep. I got, a, I got a question on page two. Yes. So D- Duchess is recognizing Mr. Miracle, right? Yes. So, which is very clever, you know, given that we know who she really is. And right. I'm sorry, this is a 30-year spoiler. It's a big deal, though, folks. If you don't want to know, fast forward, like, I don't know, an hour or two hours, and then you'll be okay. But uh, Duchess is secretly Lashina, but doesn't know it. So at this point, how obvious it obvious is it to the reader that she's Lashina? Is it completely obvious, or is it more like, what's going on with Duchess? And see, I can't remember. Uh, because, again, I'm reading this now after having read it years ago, so I know going back into this who she is. Uh-huh. So I'm not sure how much of what I'm reading is my memory of what I actually know. So I, I can't remember exactly when I first read this if I knew who she was at this point or not. Okay. All right. So, fair enough. Because uh, back in, I believe it was Suicide Squad number four, the uh, female Furies attacked Bell Rev, and uh, I forget who, else, I think it was uh, Bathsheba or whatever, and Bathsheba was fighting, the boom tube went off, and we saw someone get thrown clear. Mm. And then in issue 10, no, 9, the the uh, Millennium crossover, <laughs> the, the team's down, and uh, in fact, uh, you should be familiar with this one. Uh, that's when uh, your buddy Slipknot uh, gets his arm blown off. Again, spoilers for a 30-year story. Poor Slipknot. <laughs> you know, he can climb anything. <laughs> and I have to say, again, going off topic just for a minute, I, I loved in the su- – I mean, I had my problems with the Suicide Squad movie. But mm-hmm. one thing I did love was the fact that Boomerang did talk Slipknot into trying to get away, and that's what got him – Again, the movie, again, spoilers, I uh, got his head blown off, but <laughs> I do like the, the dynamic there. Yeah, it was faithful to the comic in, in some respects, absolutely. But uh, back to this. So, so at this point, uh, Suicide Squad 9, Slipknot got his arm blown off, and this strange woman showed up out of the swamps and escorted him back to base. And then this becomes the Duchess, and they're, so they don't really say who this is yet, so I'm trying. So I'm trying to. Mean, there's but there's been comments within the Suicide Squad book. I think it was right after this. There's been some comments that uh, again, and I've talked about this on my recent episodes of Task Force X. Waller thinks that the memory loss is BS mm. because again, she she Waller knows who she is. Waller's okay. figured it out. She hasn't actually come out and said it yet, but she has made comments that. And she's kind of questioned her, and, she, and so she's made some uh, Duchess here made some comments along the lines of, you know, I don't know what you're talking about, you know. So, but the, the way the dialogue was written, you can tell that each one knows that the other knows. And they're okay. kind of looking at cat and mouse. Fair and, enough. But we don't find out. They don't truly say who she just is for several more. Oh, I want to say another year or so. If I'm not mistaken. Well, it's not, it's- it sounds like at this point, though, even in the Suicide Squad book, that she does have some sort of memory loss because she can't figure out why she knows uh, Mr. Miracle. If she had her memory, she would just keep her mouth shut. Right. She I, wouldn't want to tip her hand. So, I'm, I, I, yeah, so that's what I'm kind of figuring out with maybe she, she's got her memory back in between panels or maybe I'm not quite sure. But he, I say, yeah, like I said, here she's kind of, what do I know you? You know, she's upset that she doesn't remember him. But in a few more issues, I want to say like five issues, 
uh, Waller confronts her and I don't say confronts her. She, she talks to her and we get the feeling that she's got her memory back at that point. Okay. Well, I'm thankful that she's here and causes this big stink because it gave Blue Beetle a chance to do something that he hasn't done this entire Justice League series, which was whip out his gun and shoot a blast of compressed air and the blinding flash because he does not get to use that weapon, not even, well, I shouldn't say that, but we're pretty sure, if memory serves, he doesn't use it even once in the entire Justice League run. Now, Oberon does use it at one point, but we don't think Beetle himself uses it. So, nice to see that uh, it got used finally. Yeah, I don't think so. But yeah, no, I love the, like you talked about earlier, I like these these fights on these upcoming pages. Yeah. Uh, on page three, uh, I like Batman calling Deadshot out. And again, that's Oof. investigated further in the Suicide Squad book and also in the Deadshot miniseries. Yes. Uh, Batman's like, Deadshot, going to pull your shots again? If so, don't waste my time. Deadshot just looks at him, turns and walks away, go to hell. <laughs> yeah, so if you don't know the history there, Deadshot has a problem shooting at Batman. Yep. There's some sort of mental block where Deadshot can't take Batman out. And uh, it's really a cool sort of story mechanic. And uh, I love the way Batman uses it to his advantage here. Really cool. Again, spoiling for my current podcast, uh, <laughs> we've investigated this a little bit further. We find, you know, and it's come up that Batman reminds Deadshot of his brother. Oh, okay. And he looked up to his brother. And again, in the Deadshot miniseries, they investigate their relationship, which ties into the whole Batman thing. So right. definitely check out that miniseries. It's a great, great, as you both said, it's a great series. Yep. And then on page four, the whole uh, John and Mari, a.k.a. Vixen, talking about the Suicide Squad and the Justice League. Mm-hmm. I like to consider myself, you know, a hard person. I, you know, I, I don't cry over everything, but this here, this brought a little tear to my eye. Oh, yeah. It gets I you. Just, this this third, third uh, row down, third panel, just John envelopes her in his cloak and just holds her. Yeah, they, they actually hug twice in this issue. This yeah. is the first of the two times. And both of them are just really powerful moments, especially if you were a fan of the Just League Detroit. Seeing these two characters together and, and the messages they convey to each other here are very heartwarming. So, yeah. Yeah, when Vic, Vixen shows up a couple issues before this, she mentions what she's been doing since then. And so from what I can gather from all this, this is the first time she's actually had a chance to talk with anyone from the Detroit League. And so it, she's got all this, I'd say, survivor's guilt, because I was going to say, most of them are dead, so yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of them to talk to. <laughs> she got survivor's guilt, plus just the fact that, you know, again, she blamed, I think she probably blames herself for losing the Detroit League. Yeah. Well, don't feel so, so bad, Vixen. You're all together now in Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> well, well, if you think about it, you've got Commander Steel, or yeah, no, Steel. You've, you've got Vixen. You've got a Vibe, who showed up in the crossover. And you've, uh, who am I forgetting here? Gypsy. And, uh, uh, oh, has Gypsy shown up yet? In air quotes again, Yes. Okay. <laughs> a character called Gypsy showed up, and she has similar powers that Vibe has. Okay. All right. So yeah, so it's not a true Gypsy, but yeah, she she kind of showed up. <laughs> and then right after the 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 heartfelt hug between John and Vixen, we get Captain Boomerang trying to fight Guy Gardner, and Guy's like got a bubble up around him. Really, isn't there enough hate in the world? Should we all try to be nicer? I'm fighting believing Mister Rogers. All right, I'll bust you out of there. <laughs> oh, no, stop. Please, you might hurt yourself. <laughs> Between the Boomerang and, and Guy Gardner stuff, which was hilarious, and also the Nightshade and Captain Adam stuff, it was very, very funny. Really enjoyed all those bits. Great, yeah. great stuff. And, yeah, they handed the Captain Adam and Nightshade relationship of some sort. 
Yep. Now the the black the bronze tiger black canary fight was really interesting because you know they have mutual respect for each other. Right. And obviously bronze tiger is covering up something, but just either they're like you know they kind of acknowledge it and they say okay well, secret's not coming up let's keep fighting <laughs> and it's just like that was cool I dug that. Yeah. And then when Flag is talking to the Batman, Oof. I enjoy their little before they start fighting. I enjoy their little conversation. And again, this uh, Rick uh, Batman tells Flag that you know, I, I told you and Waller that I'd find another way to get you. Uh, this refers back to the Suicide Squad issue number ten yep. when Batman infiltrated Bell Rev and got all the information on the squad and was going to release it to the world and let everyone know. And Men is like, oh, yeah, go ahead and do that. But to break in here, you didn't have gloves on. I'm sure we can get your fingerprints. I'm sure it'll be that oh, hard for oh. me to find out who you really are, Mr. Batman. And, yeah, so you go and blow the love on the, the, the squad, and I may have to find out who you are and tell everyone else about it, too. So, <laughs> and at that point, he gave him the tape. He's like, all right, you win this time, but I will find a way to bring you down. So this kind of ties into that whole storyline. Perfect example too why uh, the Waller, you know, why Wall the Wall yeah. is so effective right out of the gate with this series. Yeah, no, I, I, as I've talked about on my Task Force X podcast, almost every time I love this version of Amanda Waller. Yes, uh, a lot of here in the 2000s, they try to make her more skinny, more of a model <sighs> that bugs me. To me, Amanda Waller is this overweight older woman that she doesn't need to have powers. She doesn't need to use sex appeal to get her way. She forces her way in, and she, she gets what she wants just by pure force. She should be Nell Carter. Yeah. I mean, it's, she should just control the room by sheer force of will. You yes. Know, and, and, and she does in these comics, and I agree. This is the version of Waller I like, and also the version that was in the Justice League Unlimited cartoon. Yes. Yeah, I, oh, yep. great cartoon. Yep. Yeah, I love Amanda. I want to go back to the Rick Flag Batman stuff you were talking yes. about. The, the fight. Now, the fight was savage. It was incredibly brutal. It was pretty amazing. Uh, and I gotta wonder, you know, this took place in the Suicide Squad comic, which is Rick Flag's comic. Right. So I wonder how this would have gone in a Batman book. You know, was, was Rick Flag's fighting ability overstated here? You know, is, since this is his own book to keep up with Batman, was that too much? How, or? You know, alternatively, you know, this is still pretty early in post-crisis era. You know, at this point, I, I like to remind people this. At this point, Batman is the world's greatest detective. Right. He is not the world's greatest fighter, which is a, a horrible crime, a wrongdoing that was that was done throughout the late '80s and early '90s. Writers decided to make Batman the world's greatest fighter, which is not what he's about. That's not that's my opinion. But so uh, I kind of like the flag was able to keep up with Batman in the fight. I think that's pretty cool. It says a lot about him. But I but I ask you, do you think he should have been able? <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking back at this with, again, the, the, the Bat God in mind also. So part of me wants to say that, yes, he Rick Flagg was souped up a little bit because this was a Suicide Squad book. But then a part of me, again, I'm trying to remember back Batman at this time. And again, as you said, Batman was the Dark Knight detective. They focused more on his detective skills. He was still supposed to be a bad fighter. So I think they did ramp Rick up a little bit for this. Yeah, I mean it's after Dark it's after uh, Dark Knight Returns in, in year one where they did kind of make Batman totally awesome, but again, still was more a detective than a fighter. So yeah. right, they try to make him a little more human, if you will. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I would say that Rick was probably ramped up amped up a little bit for this ability because again, I mean Batman eventually does come out the better of the fights. Yeah, well, Batman walks away and Rick. But, <laughs> yeah, as Batman has a uh, Rick fight collapses, so Batman did come out the, the winner of the fight, but. As long as the fight lasted. Oh, yeah. Rick was uh, posting on a journal in there, probably towards the Yeah, end. and I don't think Batman is pulling his punches because, again, he, he's, as they talked about back in issue 10 of the Suicide Squad, 
Batman used to like Rick and he's worked with him in the Forgotten Heroes. But if Rick's willing to work with the Suicide Squad, a bunch of villains, he's not the man that he thought he was. And he basically says the same thing here about Nemesis. And then you, we already talked a bit about the, the Bronze Tiger, Black Canary. I had some notes about that. Again, I love their dynamic there. And uh, again, then we get on page nine, Amanda Waller talking. I guess I'm going to use that word instead of threatening. Uh, Rick Flag, because <laughs> we talked about, as you mentioned, the synopsis that, you know, Max wants to burst the Suicide Squad's secret and let everyone know, you know, who they are and take them out just to benefit the Justice League. And Amanda's like, you don't want to do that. And uh, we're here on page 10. She's grabbing his foot. And is this one attached? Right, right. <laughs> just love, again, Amanda doing what Amanda does best, just bullies her way through and forces what she wants to happen. Yep, she's like a force of nature that way. Yes. Uh, again, I just love the way that works out. And then on page 15, when Deadshot's about ready to shoot Mr. Miracle and Bronze Tiger kind of hits Deadshot, makes a miss, and Scott's like, did he really try to kill me? Or did you below make him accidentally pull the trigger? Like, damned if I know. <laughs> right. I know. That's crazy. So was he going to kill I Yeah, he, he was going to shoot you. That's what he does. Yep. And then we talked about the, the big fight between Batman and Rick. Uh, one of the notes I have on here is at the very end after, you know, we talked about the Suicide Squad took off. The Just League team said they'll take Nemesis in. The whole fight's done. The bad guys are gone. Well, I'm calling the bad guys. The Suicide Squad is gone. And then the Rocket Reds, the Red Star, people cheering all these people finally show up at the very end. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, right. we got all this build up for this pay, this issue and last issue. Oh, we got these three teams coming in to fight, and oh, it, it's over. <laughs> You're doing well. What? <laughs> it, would, it would have been a complete chaotic mess if they tried to do all that together, because then you you would have had the Suicide Squad and just like have to team up and all that. Yeah. Right now. I, I, I think it works better as a, a two issue miniseries or crossover than the three or four issues. So, oh, yeah. no, I agree. And another comment here is, as we mentioned, uh, Batman quitting the team. Whoa! I, I just find it odd that he quit in the Suicide Squad book. Right! And this was the second part, so I guess it's the ideal place for him to do it, I guess, unless they carried over to issue 13. But yeah, just kind of odd that he would quit in a book that's not the Justice League book. Right. It's been a while since I've read issue 14, so I'm, uh, I'm interested to see how that plays out in issue 14 because obviously they have to sort of reveal it I would assume there so in case someone didn't buy the Suicide Squad issue and it's worth saying too by the way if you buy the collected editions you know if you get the Justice League collection the Suicide Squad issues in there if, and vice versa they each have the, the this issue in their collection which is nice now I will ask you this as, as a big like sort of 10,000 foot level question this crossover do you think it was effective as a reader of say Suicide Squad you know would you have sought out the Justice League issue and the next question is you know, and I realize this is all hypothetical because we right. obviously collect in our own ways and would it have made you buy more Justice League issues, which is obviously what the crossover is intended to do? Again, I would have to, again, I, I bought both books anyways, but I would have to say yes. I think the, the crossover was very effective. Again, the way that, as we talked about, the way they tied the two together, I thought it was very nice. So yes, I, I would have had to seek out issues. If I was just reading Suicide Squad and I came into this, saw this going on, I would have had to pick up Justice League uh, number 13 to find out how this fight got started. And that, that's one question I asked myself, and again, I, I brought this to uh, Crocodile Dundee when we talked about it on my Task Force X podcast. That, that's uh, Captain Boomerang, thank you. I'm sorry, Captain Boomerang. I forgot we switched over. Uh, <laughs> I was wondering, as a fan of the Justice League, 
the the art difference between issue twelve and thirteen mm. was that jarring to a Justice League fan? That's kind of my question. Well, we we had had the backups with Giffen already. Right. Uh, Giffen did like three backups in a row, I want to say. So I don't think it would be completely shocking, uh, given that we've already seen some of his artwork in there. I mean, certainly I think everyone's hoping to get McGuire, but right. uh, I think I think people probably would have adapted pretty easily. Yeah, Next issue to... might be a different story. <laughs> well, it's hard to say because I, I bought both these books. And I started both these books later in the series than here, so I went back just because I fell in love with the books with the later issues, so I had to go back and buy these earlier issues. So I'm just wondering, someone on the buying off the street, when they bought Just Like 13, and the art was, again, the backups were matching up with it, but the main story was a different art style. It just makes me wonder. But as a Just League fan, or sorry, as a Suicide Squad fan, I thought the artwork for this issue of Just League matched up, as I said, perfect. Yeah. With what they were doing nice. here. So... All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our coverage of the Suicide Squad. Now, let's get let's let's flip back to Justice League because this is a Justice League podcast. In case you hadn't noticed, Aaron, no matter how many times you mentioned the Task Force X podcast, oh, uh, let's go ahead. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, how did I stumble into this place? Uh, one of the things we do like to do on this on this show is talk a little bit about the house ads that are in the book. So I'm going to run through these pretty fast because I don't have a lot to say on most of them. But uh, if you have any personal experience with these, please speak up. Otherwise, we'll just kind of acknowledge the art history of them, but the first one is a ad for the Flash Gordon miniseries. It was a 9-issue maxi-series by Dan Jurgens and Bruce Patterson. It's a teal-colored ad, and it's almost like a it's supposed to look like a program, like you would uh, vacation flyer, but it says Ming the Merciless invites you to visit Scenic Mongo! But Ming is sort of overshadowing, and he looks evil, and he's got this skull tattoo, and you see the floating city, and you see, you know, uh, Flash Gordon with the sword, and Dale Arden, and the rocket ship, and the, the princess there. Anyway, Journey Through the Land of Mongo in this new format nine-issue nine maxi-series. Warning, travel at your own risk. Now, did you read this Flash Gordon series? No, I, I read. I watched the movie, the 80s movie, but yeah, I didn't get the series. Looking at this, though, seeing it was written by Dan Jurgens. At the time, I was just getting into comics. I didn't know who Dan Jurgens was at the time. Knowing now, I, I want to go back and see if I can find these issues just because it was written by Dan Jurgens. Right. So. <laughs> I, I feel kind of the same way. It's like, I love me some Flash Gordon, you know, and especially the 80s goofiness of it. Yeah. And uh, now this is obviously different, you know, sort of alternate version from the movie, but still. Right. Dan Jurgens in the 80s mm, should be pretty good. Yeah, Dan Jurgens, right. you can't go wrong. <laughs> Up next is this quirky ad. It's, it's really interesting. It is uh, these official medallions. This isn't even like a house ad, but I had to cover it. It says, Happy 50th Birthday, Superman. And they've got these giant medallions you can get that are 24-karat gold-plated bronze or pure silver, double-struck medallions of proof of quality and reeded edges, and impressive 39 millimeters in diameter, deeply inside. I mean, yeah, we don't really care. Yeah. But um, they're, you know, they're these special coins, essentially, if you will, and different images. One of them celebrating Superman's 50th birthday. Another one has, let's see, Batgirl on her motorcycle. We've got Supergirl. We've got Lex Luthor. We've got the Joker. We've got Penguin. We've got Lois Lane at her desk. And again, that 50th uh, anniversary for Superman. Pretty crazy. I, I've never seen any of these coins in real life, have you? No. Okay. Yeah, a lot of the artwork looks familiar from other stories oh. or other, other images. But yeah, I never actually... No, I did not buy these coins. Well, it would be fun to, to seek these out, see what their value is nowadays. I mean, you could have got them here for... I mean, they cost you... Uh, the silver one would cost you eighteen ninety five. The 24-karat gold 
plated one was nine ninety five, and if you wanted the antique bronze, it was only five bucks. So interesting. I, somebody out there got one. If you got one of these, write in. And let us know, please. Up next is an ad for Crim- the Crimson Avenger miniseries, four issue miniseries. Uh, it says, "From out of the shadows of time steps the Crimson Avenger. Danger, action, intrigue. DC's first masked hero battles crime, corruption, and the Nazi menace in this four chapter serial by Roy and Dan Thomas and Greg Brooks. And you know, this was kind of playing off of the popularity. Uh, well, I popularity is the wrong word, but playing off his appearance in the Secret Origins comic, which myself I had read his about him in Secret Origins comic was fascinating. So I actually collected this miniseries. Uh, unfortunately, regardless of the uh, enjoyability of the miniseries and the artwork, this series is marred with the history of the artist Greg Brooks and the crime he went on to commit. And if you don't know it, go Google it. That's your own thing to find out, folks. But so, I, did you read this miniseries? Yes, I, this is one miniseries I did buy. I did pick this one up, and I again I haven't read it in many years, but I seem to remember enjoying this one. Yeah, me too. I really, I mean, I, I enjoyed the heck out of that thing. So, next is one that is not as fondly remembered. Uh, it is the Wanderers. <laughs> this is the Wanderers reborn to solve the final mystery: who killed them? And you get sort of a Marvel Universe sort of statted up picture on graph paper of two of the characters. You get, uh, you know, I'm not even going to bother. Really, no one remembers the Wanderers <laughs> except for Russell Burbage. No one really cares. So. <laughs> Uh, yes, they were a spinoff of the uh, Legion of Superheroes, and they're most fondly remembered for a scene where somebody turns into a bird and has sex with it. So, not a lot else to say. I can't remember any details, but I've got a vague regulation in my memory that I hunted these issues down, and I'm going to say it. I, I've i got a vague memory that I enjoyed it. Okay. But again, well, it's good. been 30 years, so I could be, you know, I'm getting old and my memory is going senile, so. Well, you are... <laughs> Oh, throughout this entire podcast, you've pretty much just proven everything about you is questionable. So, uh, but it's got a good pedigree. It's Doug Mensch, Dave Hooper, and Robert Campanella, all quality you know, quality creators. I just heard you know, a lot of bad things about this series. So, all right, and our final house ad is just this sort of quarter page ad, maybe half size ad, and it is for the Shadow. This is a different kind of nightmare. Kyle Baker draws the Shadow by Andy Helfer and Kyle Baker, and uh, this is the ongoing. Now, at this point, the series was already on issue ten. However, being written by Andy Helfer and Andy Helfer being the editor of the Justice League book, he probably had no problem getting this ad run in here. So I've never read this, this Shadow series, but I heard it's phenomenal. Yeah, same here. I, I missed this, but I've heard nothing but good things about it. Uh, I enjoyed the Alec Baldwin movie. I don't know if there's any relation to him, but... Uh, somebody had to like it, so I'm glad you did. That's good. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Again, again, it's been 30 years since I've seen it, so maybe my memory's playing tricks on me, but... It probably but no, is. I, and I, uh, Chris Franklin and Michael Bailey are now writing me hate mail because I'm making fun of the Shadow movie, but go ahead. <laughs> Man, yeah, no, I, I don't recall reading this series. All right. Well, we're going to move on to our next segment, folks. Uh, something I like to call Character Spotlight. And this is where our guest is going to share some thoughts on one of the characters from the issue. Now, this is not really an origin recap. It's more like whether these characters were in the DC Universe, you know, about this time and how it sort of connects to the JLI, what impact the JLI had on their lives. Usually it goes three to five minutes. For some reason, most of the guests that come on the show think it's their turn in the spotlight and spend about 45 minutes. Uh, let's see how the creepy guy in the basement does. What do you say? Aaron, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Suicide Squad? Okay, the Suicide Squad is started out as Task Force X back in some of the war comics back in the 1940s. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> this Suicide Squad that we're actually talking about started the same month as Just League International. It's been out of Legends. As I talked about briefly earlier, issue 10 of the Suicide Squad uh, Batman uncovered the secrets of the squad, and when he threatened to expose the squad, as I said, Waller said, we've got your fingerprints, we can find out who you are. So Batman hands over the files, and he, he vows 
I'll find another way to take you down, which brings us to this issue. Uh, Batman's trying to bring him down through here. And then Batman's crossed over with the Suicide Squad a couple of times after this, uh, most notably in the Phoenix Gambit around issue 40. Uh, if memory serves, that's when Amanda Waller uh, went to jail and they did like a one-year gap. I think that is correct. And then later on in the series, they had a something called The Mystery of the Atom, where Ray mm-hmm. Palmer, the Atom, shows back up and he'd been missing. So the Just League, Batman, Superman... I want to say a guy that talks to fish showed up to find out <laughs> what was going on with their their, their missing teammate. That, that's what uh, that's what led me to the Suicide Squad that crossover. And in fact, I got a letter printed not too long after that. Too. <laughs> I think we've talked about that previously. But yes. I, yes, we have. Oh, embarrassing. Uh, don't go back and read those things, folks. They're embarrassing. <laughs> oh, be sure when I get to that in my my podcast, I will bring it up. <laughs> oh, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, I mean, they don't have a. They didn't cross over a lot between the Just League and the Suicide Squad after that. Uh, in fact, here recently in the Rebirth era, they just had a, a crossover. But other than that, they, they didn't really mix over too much between the Just League and the Suicide Squad. Yeah, well, I, you know, at first I was going to say, well, maybe the crossover, the recent crossover was sort of like trying to echo what had happened a long time ago in 87 and 88. But then I realized, well, actually more likely it's because they both have movies coming out. Yeah. That probably makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I would like to go with your original thought, but no, I think, yeah, it's most likely... Due to Suicide Squad, had a movie just came out. Supposedly, the Just League has a movie coming out soon. Supposedly. After, <laughs> well, again, with DC, I, after their their track record, I don't count on anything until it happens. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I, I've been uh, there too many times waiting for that Flash movie. <laughs> well, they, they've, they've actually filmed this one, so there's a pretty good chance yeah. it's going to happen, man. <laughs> but the Suicide Squad did come first. So, all right, folks. Well, thank you so much for that character spotlight. Thank you for keeping it brief. I didn't actually fall asleep. Uh, this is one of the first character spotlights I didn't doze off in, so that was kind of exciting. So I didn't deal with you snoring, so that's why I try to make it quick. Well, it's, it's, I, I usually try and mute before I down off, but anyway. Um, all right, folks. Well, you know, it's all been building to this. The anticipation is palpable, folks. We're here. It is finally time for... Plahaha Award. And this is where we nominate the funniest moment in the issue. Both myself and the guest, we're going to pick a moment, and only one of them are going to walk out of here with a coveted Bwahaha Award. Aaron, you're the guest, unfortunately. So I'm going to do you first. Uh, well, sort of, yeah. Uh, it, it's kind of hard to call you a guest when you're living in the basement. But anyway. uh, anyways. What segment do you nominate for the Bwahaha Award? As I said, well, this isn't normally chock full of Bwaha moments. Is find a lot of times because of the crossover of the Suicide Squad, I there was there were several I had to choose from, and I think I'm going to have to go with the as I talked about early on in the Just League book with the whole uh, Oberon talking to Batman. I'll be going now. Just call if you need anything. Coffee, tea, a good psychiatrist. What was that? I said my feet are killing me. Gotta see a good podiatrist. And then on the next page, we follow up the exact same joke between Flag and Waller. To me, that was hilarious the way that you know that they both play out the same and just like, what'd you say? Uh, I got uh, my feet are hurting me. I, I need a podiatrist. Yeah, that's what I said. I am absolutely floored. In the history of this podcast, we've done you know, 13 episodes and and the special with the the annual and everything. Only one time before today had the guest and the host come up with the same moment, but we have tonight, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's right. The podiatrist line is the funniest damn thing in this book. And congratulations, Oberon and Rick Flagg. You are both going home with the beloved Wahaha Award. It is as tangible as the laughter we give you. Wear it with pride, gentlemen. 
Congratulations. Woof. Wow, Aaron. You read my mind, which is even scarier for me that we could possibly be on the same mental wavelength. But wow. That's oh, awesome. Don't look behind you. I'm moving your shoulder to read your notes. That's how I picked out that exact scene. But, shh. <laughs> um, okay, uh, Shag, can you give me just shh, give me just one minute? I, I hear Mr. What? Miracle coming down the stall. Shh, I'll be right back. What? Oh, my gosh. Are you serious? You're having to hide because you're in the basement? This is ridiculous. Fine. All right. You, you hide behind the crate of Oreos or whatever it is that's down there. Uh, well, Mr. Miracle's checking out his equipment. Folks, while he's cowering in the corner like a, like a creeper that he is, I'm going to go ahead and read your listener feedback in a segment called... Justice Log. Alright folks, now before we get to your feedback, I owe all of you an apology. This episode is two months late. I am really sorry. Basically, real life got in the way. You know, earlier in this episode, you heard how Aaron is living in the embassy basement. Well, I told my wife and she freaked out. So we're selling the embassy and moving far, far away from Creeper Aaron. (laughs) Now, all kidding aside, we are actually selling our house after living in this place for 12 years. So lots to get ready with painting and showing the house and packing and moving and such. In fact, nearly all my comics are in storage right now. (sighs) Though, I was sure to keep two long boxes here at the house with me. My Firestorm box and my JLI box. They are not leaving my side. So my thanks to you for your patience during this wait for this episode. I hope it was worth it. Also, during the hiatus, I attended Heroes Con in Charlotte, North Carolina. It was my first time there, and while I was there... I was fortunate enough to meet Ty Templeton. Yes, the JLI artist. What a super nice guy. We chatted for a bit about the JLI, and I got him to sign some JLI comics. My thanks to Ryan Daly for his help in making that meeting happen. Also, I got a chance to meet with some of you listeners at the con, and that was awesome. And finally, last episode, you may recall our friend Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist. He was kind enough to donate an original piece for this podcast to do a drawing. It's a mashup between Scooby-Doo and JLI called Class of 69. It was done on 11 by 17 in full color, and it had Booster Gold as Fred, Velma as Ice, Scooby as Nort, Shaggy as Blue Beetle, and Daphne as Fire. In order to be eligible to win this piece, we asked you listeners to tell us your favorite J.M. DiMatteis story and why. The yard sale artist and I worked together on the random drawing, and I'm thrilled to announce the winner is Matthew Thomas Cody. Congratulations, Matthew. That's fantastic. In his submission, he wrote, My favorite JMD Mateo story is Justice League number five, the issue with one punch. I love the whole series, but I'm picking that one because my son Silas, who's 12 years old, read those first issues, and I really enjoy talking up the fight and then getting his reaction afterwards. It's something we can laugh along with Blue Beetle, and Black Canary's reaction was priceless. <laughs> That's awesome, Matthew. Thank you for sharing that story. And thanks to the incredible generosity of Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist. Be sure to check him out on Facebook and Twitter. For those of you who weren't lucky enough to win, you also have the option of buying a print of this artwork from the yard sale artist. If you'd like an 11 by 17 print of the piece... You can get one from Jared for just $15, and that includes shipping within the United States. If you're one of our international listeners, hit up Jared on the social media, and he'll get you the best deal possible giving the shipping expenses. And also, Jared is available for commission work, so you can get him to create a custom piece just for you. Again, our thanks to Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist. All right, folks, as I've mentioned at the top of the show, if you want to participate in social media, please be sure to use our hashtag, which is pound FW podcast. You can also tag us on Twitter. We're at JLI 
Spotify podcast, and we're on Facebook as Justice League International Blahaha Podcast. As I said earlier, it's all about building a community of online JLI fans around this show, and y'all have done this unbelievably. Y'all are the absolute best. As you leave your comments, remember, if you're outside the United States, let me know, and we will assign you the proper embassy. We want to give our international recognition. It's also good to know because if you're international, we have to filter iTunes a proper way to see your reviews. Speaking of which, let's get to those iTunes reviews. And since those iTunes reviews help raise the profile of the show so much, as a thank you, we read your entire review on the air, which you'll see from this next one gets a little crazy. (laughs) First uh, iTunes review is from my buddy Centaurin from our Denmark embassy. And uh, just know going in that Centaurin's, he's a little unusual. So he wrote, For glory! If you want to hear someone talk about a fictional group of people working together to save the planet, this is probably the podcast for you. If you want to help save the planet yourself, you can go vegetarian or volunteer for groups such as Bat Conservation International, because of Batman, Audubon for Black Canary, the Xerxes Society for Blue Beetle, World Watch Institute, more for Skeets than Booster Gold, Bellona St. Petersburg for Rocket Red, or WWF's Save the Tigers Now for Captain Marvel. But if you want to hand the planet over to interstellar warring factions, then there are many things you can do for the glory of the Santaran Empire. The glorious Santaran Empire will take recruits from wherever they come in the fight against the Rutans. Oh, goodness. If you're a fan of Doctor Who, that made a lot of sense. If you're not a fan of Doctor Who, just know that he's his heart's in the right place. <laughs> Then we got a nice iTunes review from our buddy William Box. He wrote, great podcast about a great comic. Just now started rereading the JLI comics and love listening to this podcast. Great production, great content. Thanks. Really appreciate that, William. Thank you very much. Now, that is the conclusion of our iTunes reviews for this time. Thank you to everyone who submitted an iTunes review. It really helps raise the profile of the show. And for those of you who have not yet submitted an iTunes review, just letting you know, you're off the Christmas card list. You're on warning. All right. What follows here are comments from our website, our email, social media, and I'm going to be pulling just bits and pieces because there's so much to cover. There's no way I can get through it all. And these comments are going to be specific to our JLI number 12 coverage with Tom Zoller. First comment comes from Ryan Daly, who's part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He hosts shows such as The Power of Fishnets, Give Me Those Star Wars, It's Midnight the Podcasting Hour, Batman Nightcast, he's a past guest of this show, and since the last episode was recorded, the only man I can claim to have shared a bed with. And there was cuddling. Sadly, I'm not kidding. Uh, Ryan went on to write, I actually think Shag's first choice for the Bwahaha Award, which was the Star Trek banter between Blue Beetle and Mr. Miracle, should have won. I rolled my eyes in weary exasperation when Shag dismissed his clearly superior option in favor of a lesser comedic moment. Tom's choice, however, was a close second. You could even lump the two panels together as one scene and award them both. <laughs> Well, Ryan, thank you for your opinion. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Yours just happens to be wrong. Then we heard from my buddy Martin Gray from the Too Dangerous for a Girl blog and our Scottish embassy. He wrote in to say, I liked this story. I was predisposed to like Max because of his likeness to Sam Neill, of course, but this story made it okay to be a fan. The Mastermind Computer in a Cave bit was done several years previously, of course, in Captain Britain. Hmm, I might have to check that out, Martin. Interesting. And then he says, I think you overestimate how much people like Maria Hill. Now, just to put a frame of reference on this, if you remember last episode, I asked you guys to help me brainstorm supporting cast members who had gone on to a level of popularity like Maxwell Lord had, whereas he became pretty enormous in the Justice League franchise. Tom and I were, were trying to remember other characters, supporting characters specifically, that had gone on to uh, fame and, and, and wide acceptance and recognition, and Maria Hill was one that had come up. And we were kind of specifically talking about the last 30 years or 20 to 30 years of comic books. Anyway, he goes, I think you overestimate how much people like Maria Hill. She exists only to be a jerk and was in 
inflicted upon us by Bendis at every opportunity. I hate how no Marvel team these days gets to exist without oversight slash interference from Shield, and she is symptomatic of that. And I would and, and I would say to that, Martin, I think that's really kind of an extension of Henry Peter Guyrich effect from the old Avengers years ago. It just seems to be a little more present nowadays. Anyway, Martin goes on to write, A supporting character who has caught on the last couple decades? It's tough, given how little time is given to private lives nowadays. The whatever happened to's or the secret identities. What about Damian Wayne? He was certainly a supporting player for a couple of years before being promoted to a leading role. Mm. Damian Wayne. I, I don't know, Martin. I, I feel like that one doesn't work simply because he went on to become Robin and became, you know, I mean, he's leading books and stuff like that. Now, I, I don't know that he really qualifies as a supporting character. Uh, I'll have to I'll have to noodle that one around a little bit, though. Then we heard from my buddy Chris Franklin, also from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He hosts shows such as Supermates, Power Records, Batman Nightcast Podcast, and Where Does He Get Those Wonderful Toys Podcast. Chris is also a past guest on this show and another friend who I got a chance to hang out with at HeroesCon. Chris wrote, For years, I've wondered who McGuire based his Metron on. He certainly looks familiar, especially when he's looking down his nose at the leaguers, but I just can't place him. I almost get a Roddy McDowell vibe from him there, but not quite. Hmm. Interesting. Anyone else uh, out there got any ideas on who, who Kevin McGuire may have based Metron on? And then Chris goes on to say, I hate to be a negative Nancy, but I had the same thought in 1987, so I'll bring it up here. Would the JLI really trust Max after all this? Maybe if they set it up that they wanted to keep an eye on him or something, but just because John mind-melded with him, it seems a bit loose to go on based on what he did and what he had planned to do. I hate to say this, but maybe there was more to Max's turn in Countdown to Infinite Crisis than most folks want to acknowledge. I don't want to admit it either, but I hate to say he seems more sinister than I remember. Ooh, Chris, coming to the defense of Countdown to Infinite Crisis. Man, that's bad. Bad mojo, brother. You may be on your own there. Let's let's keep going. Then we heard from David Ace Gutierrez, executive producer of Pod Dylan. He goes on to say the league was way too lax with Max after this. You know what that can get them? A bullet in the head. Oh my gosh, David, I can't believe you went there. And Chris, I guess you're not on your own, because it seems like you've got a couple of people in your corner here. They heard from my buddy Jose Rivera. He says, love the episode, because it managed to do something I could never do the many times I've tried to read this story over the years. It made me care about Max. Through the years, I've always found this issue a slog to get through, because I know all the cool stuff that comes in the second year. Max has been a character who I only ever liked in the latter half of the series. But this episode made me stop and actually think about the story itself and what Max was going through with that evil pewter. Awesome. All right. Well, I appreciate the comments, Jose. Thank you. Then we heard from our buddy Paul Hicks from the Waiting for Doom podcast, who's also in our Australian embassy. Paul says, I know this opinion can be unpopular, but I embrace the changes that were made to Max's character in the lead up to Infinite Crisis. Max had some built-in sketchiness already. I hated that Ted died, but I love that it led to a continuation of his legacy. Whoa. Okay, guys. You, you got to slow your roll here. That is three people supporting the whole Max putting a bullet in Ted Cord's head. Yeah, you may go, no, no, I don't mean that. I, I really just think it's okay that Max turned evil. I'm sorry. Those two go hand in hand folks so so you really need to go to your room and think about what you said here then we heard from our buddy Dr. Ange from the Supergirl blog, Comic Box Commentary, and the Legion of Super Bloggers. Dr. Ange wrote, another issue I don't have, so I'm learning about this from you. As a result, not much to add to the Justice League story, but I do have a few comments about the other stuff that were mentioned in the podcast. I thought Action Comics number 600 did a great job explaining why Superman and Wonder Woman would never be a couple. In a few short pages, it became apparent he is a simple country farm boy, he wasn't comfortable running around Olympus, and he felt like a fish out of water with her, so they can be friends, not lovers. It's a great story. 
I really like the way you put that, Dr. Ange. Thank you very much. Then we heard from Mark Baker Wright from Black Rock's Toy Box. He says, I'm hard-pressed to think of a supporting character introduced since Maxwell Lord, whose popularity rose so quickly. But I'm particularly fond of Superman's pal, Bibbo, who seems to have been introduced in the same month. Hmm, that's a pretty good one. Bibbo, yeah, Bibbo hung around quite a bit. I don't know that he... Uh, became a, a driving force for a book, such as Max did. But Bibbo is a cool supporting character. I think in, in just a bit here, we're going to get to another comment that really, I think, sort of defines, I guess, kind of what I was looking for. So, But uh, Bibbo is pretty good. I like that. Thank you, Mark. Then we heard from Jeff R. He goes, uh, Bibbo was just mentioned above, but there's another massively popular DC supporting character introduced around the same time as Maxwell Lord. Well, a few months earlier, I guess. But I suspect you'll have some things to say about her next episode. No? Good point, Jeff. Amanda Waller very much qualifies uh, for a strong supporting character that has hung around. In fact, she's hung around longer than Maxwell Lord. She's even appeared in movies. Uh, I know we've had a Maxwell Lord on television, but it wasn't quite the Maxwell Lord we looked for, whereas I would say Amanda Waller was a lot more true to her character. So that's a good one. Now, now I don't remember if I had originally said within 20 years or 30 years, but either way, we'll, we'll take Amanda Waller. That's good. And then he goes on to say, uh, for even more recent additions, I'd go across the Marvel side and name Amadeus Cho and Phil Coulson. Maybe Diggle for DC, too. Well, hmm. Phil Coulson and Diggle were both introduced in media first. Like, you know, Coulson in the movies and Diggle in TV and then made their way to comics. I, I, don't, I mean, they're, they're both good. I mean, Diggle, Diggle and um, Coulson are, are pretty good choices. I might have to think about that one. Amadeus Cho, I disqualify him just because he's the Hulk right now. So I find that one. I don't think that one counts. But Coulson, mm, Coulson and Diggle, I think about it. But they didn't start in the comics. So then we got a comment from some mystery person who wrote in, My favorite JMD Mateus arc is probably, and unoriginally, the initial run on JLI. It really opened my eyes to fresh storytelling of the DC Universe in general. And I love the yard sale artist because he is the sexiest man alive. And if I win, I get to keep the original and sell it. And I save on the shipping. Oh, wait. That was from Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist himself. Ugh, thank you, Jared. Uh, he also sent us a picture of himself running again. I don't know if you remember, Jared is also our, our runner. He's always running, listening to the podcast. He goes 60 miles down now with the Justice League International podcast at my side, and I'm not dead yet. And that's saying quite a bit. Given the heat in Alabama and how hot it gets out there, it's impressive that he's still alive. Then we hear from our buddy Matthew Thomas Cody, who, in fact, won the yard sale artist piece, uh, the Scooby-Doo JLI mashup we just talked about. He goes, when you mentioned supporting characters that have been embraced by fans, Harold from the Bat Books was the first one I thought of. I like how Batman took him in and let him live in the Bat Cave, and he had a great rapport with Ace as well. He also built useful tools for Batman. Harold's a great example. Yeah, that's a really good one. I, I don't know if he had the staying power, but then again, Max faded in and out of uh, uh, you know attention span as well. So, but Harold, that's a really good one. Thank you, Matthew. Then we heard from Diablo Frank from the Rolled Spine Podcast Network. He does shows such as the Marvel Superheroes Podcast, the Idle Head of Diablo, which is a Martian Manhunter podcast, Diana Prince, the new Wonder Woman podcast, and many more podcasts and blogs. He's a past guest on this show, and also another friend I got a chance to hang out with at HeroesCon. He wrote in to say, I thought I'd heard Kevin McGuire disputed Max being based on Sam Neill, even though he really clearly looks like Sam Neill. Well, um, just to be a little specific there, Frank, I, I, have, the, I have the Masterworks book that was put out by Tomorrow's uh, interview with him, and he did say that he based one panel on Sam Neill. Everything else, though, he says was not based on Sam Neill. So he did admit to one panel, but he says the rest of it wasn't. So I guess it's kind of a six and one half dozen the other. Then Frank decides to take me to task on how to pronounce Metron. So I, I kept saying Metron. So anyway, he writes, Metron sounds like a Snapchat filter or someone discussing a film about people getting sucked into an arcade game in broken English. 
Metron is Kirby's shortened version of Metatron. So, Metron. Thank you, Frank. I appreciate that. Given my frequent mispronunciations, I'll take any of the assistance I can get, even from someone like yourself. Uh, and then he goes, people like Maria Hill. How about Bob the Hydra Agent or Fat Cobra? Uh, I think the former is involved with Deadpool. I have no idea who the latter is, so I can't give that to you, Frank, because I have no idea what you're talking about. Then we heard from Jimmy McGlinchey from the Irish Embassy, and he says, Irish Embassy calling, and I've received a very irate email from Cave Carson, who says that he can't go spelunking anymore without coming across another dead CEO. People, dead CEOs should not be dumped in the bottom of the caves. They are recyclable and should go in the compost heap. Please, think of the environment. <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. I appreciate you playing along. And he says, regarding supporting characters that grew popular, I'm surprised no one mentioned Renee Montoya, who went from a bit role to a major character in Gotham Central, and then began and into the 52. I would also mention all the supporting cast from Garth Ennis' Hitman series, all great characters. You know, you're onto something with Renee Montoya. She did eventually become the question, but really that was a short period of time, and she had such a long life before becoming the question. I mean, she was in the Batman animated series, if I remember right, too. So, Renee Montoya, hmm, that is a very strong candidate. All right, very good. This is great. I love all the feedback from you guys. Then we heard from Brian Henry, who goes by the 108th Sage. He goes, as for this issue of Justice League International, I've read most of the series back-to-back, after I found most of them in the back-issue bins at the comic store in my college town. So never had the suspense of who is Maxwell Lord, for more than a few hours at least. I grew to love Fire and Ice, so this issue marking the beginning of their plans to infiltrate the League, of course, holds a special place in my heart, as it does the similar reason for somewhat redeeming Max, who went on to be a great foil for the team, though any affection I might have ever held for the character was squashed when he killed Blue Beetle in Infinite Crisis. Thank you, 108th Sage. Somebody finally speaking some reason here about Maxwell Lord oh, and the Infinite Crisis. Then I heard from Rod Pruitt, who, by the way, I got a chance to meet him as well at Heroes Con. That was awesome. Uh, Rod says, great episode, and I have to agree with Shag. Ooh, I just threw up a little. <laughs> he goes, when you can work the word metronome into a funny bit, it should get an award of some kind. Thank you, Rod. I'm glad to see some people have a good, solid sense of humor. Then I heard from my buddy Tim Price. His comment is, well, actually, I guess it's less of a comment, more like a thesis, because, you know, it's Tim. Anyway, he writes, the cover always bothers me as not reflecting the story, literally. Aside from the bullet patchwork, Max is never part machine in any sense. Sure, his partnership with Evil Pewter inspired the cover, but it's not as symbiotic of a relationship as the image implies. I mean, it's a beautiful Maguire cover, as always, but it just didn't work for me. Then he goes on to say, okay, crazy question, if you read the trades first. Those of us that read the individual issues saw the backup in issue 8, with the Global Guardians being shut down. So seeing them again in issue 12 was just a continuation of that subplot, including the Tuatarup and parking gag. But since the trades didn't have those backup stories, was it a big surprise in issue number 12? Did it feel out of left field, or forced, or just weird? I'm really curious for your take. Hmm. You know, Tim, that's a great question. I don't know if I'm the best person to ask. I did read it in trades, so uh, and those original trades that didn't have the backups. So for me, you're right. I didn't read the issue eight backup. Uh, I just saw Fire and Ice appear in issue twelve. I, the problem was. By the time I read issue 12, I was already familiar with who Fire and Ice were. So it was sort of natural for me to see them in the book at that point. So I don't know that I'm the best judge. I wonder if, the, if there's anyone else out there that read issue 12 uh, in the original trades where they didn't have the backup stories. I, please let us know. How was that transition for you when they introduced that story? Did it feel like you're kind of like, why am I joining these people now? <laughs> so, good question. Then Tim went on to say, <laughs> now just remember a minute ago, Tim was knocking the cover, right? He comes back to go, wait, how could I have forgotten? It's three months without my 
Squire. I'm sorry. I loved issue 12's cover. I take it back. Undo. Undo. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Appreciate it. Then we heard from Mark Lax. He goes, have to agree with that the Justice League International shouldn't have trusted Max. Gee, I wonder if this will haunt them later. The whole Max origin was creepy, and while I know they had no idea what DC would do 20 years later, this whole story just showed how much Max is a sociopath, which would explain his rather odd behavior later. Still, he was an interesting character for this book and added an air to mystery, while still being an obnoxiously fun character. Giffen and Mateus knew what they were doing when creating Maxwell Lord. Nice job, my friends. Well, Mark wasn't endorsing the Infinite Crisis story. Still, knock it on Max. What is, what is with you people? I feel like, you know, the two months apart, I, I feel like I don't even know you guys anymore. Then we heard from Mike Zumo. He's referencing the winery that Tom Zoller mentioned. He goes, that winery, Brotherhood, is literally next door to where my daughter goes to school and mere minutes from my house. Look at that. Small world. Crazy. Then we heard from Siskoid from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He does shows such as First Strike Invasion, Oh, Hot Moo or Not, Give Me That Star Trek, and the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast. And he's also at our Canadian. Canadian Embassy. Siskoid wrote, the supporting character I immediately thought of was Amanda Waller from this era of comics. Good one, Siskoid. Yep, absolutely. Now, remember earlier I said someone was going to sort of sum up what I was, I guess, trying to convey with this whole supporting character thing? Here, Tim Price steps in to help us out. He goes, the big difference with Max and Amanda versus most supporting characters is they're actually protagonists in their story, just unsuper ones in a superhero story. By their nature, supporting characters are either servants, like Alfred or Jarvis, comic relief, like Woozy Winks, or plot devices, like Lois Lane. But Max and Amanda were leaders and well-rounded, fully realized characters. The 80s had a couple other examples of this, Heather Hudson and John Byrne's Alpha Flight. Later, writers did turn her into a superhero, but Byrne never intended that. He wanted her to stay a regular person among the superheroes. Lesser known, perhaps, was Candy Southern, who was Angel's girlfriend in The New Defenders, was also a normal leader. And she showed that writers were all interested in mixing up super teams with unsuper characters. It was a fascinating trend. All very good examples. Um, Heather, unfortunately, as you said, other writers turned into a super, so I think she disqualifies. But during under Burns' run, she absolutely would qualify. Yeah, great. And thank you for sort of putting the words there that I was trying to summarize, where you're right, they're a protagonist in their own story, and yet they're supporting characters. Absolutely. Well done. Then we heard from Tim Rooney, who's a new listener, and he said, Just discovered the show, and I love it. Just purchased the first trade of this series from in-stock trades, because I was sold. Awesome. Welcome to the club, Tim. Then we heard from Paul Kine. Uh, I think I'm saying that wrong. It's K-I-E-N. He says, Great podcast. Really enjoyed Tom the Guest. His comics are great, and I always thought he was influenced by the JLI. Well, Paul, you are right. Then we heard from Matt Johnson. He's another new listener. He says, Literally just found you right now. As a JLI aficionado, I'll tell you what I think. And then he shared a picture of himself from, I guess, high school or middle school. And he says, if this guy Gardner haircut and face from around 1993 doesn't qualify me, I don't know what does. And let me tell you, it really does look like a guy Gardner come to life. It's hilarious. Also, a quick shout out to our buddy Bradley Null, who gave us some kind support over on the interwebs. Now, it is time to award a very special item. It is what we call the Double Stuff Award. We don't give these out too often. These are people that have gone above and beyond to either support the podcast or have just done something amazingly nice. And this one goes out to Woody Myers. He has helped me personally unlock a lifetime achievement goal with JLI. I've talked before on the show the awesome poster called Class of 1987, which is a Justice League poster. It's, it's got the whole team and they're in front of like a red curtain and stuff. I've always wanted these posters. I've not been able to get my hands on one. And Woody had a spare one, and he was kind enough to send it to me. Whoa! Thank you, Woody. That was amazing and so very much appreciated. And now I can say I have one of the items of JLI uh, heritage that I've always wanted. Thank you so much. I really sincerely appreciate that, and you've definitely earned your Double Stuff Award. All right, now moving on to mentions on other websites. Quick thank you to David Robertson. He responded to a, 
a poll by Comics Reporter as a website. He asked their readers to ask, uh, name the five active podcasts that they enjoy, and David included the uh, Justice League International podcast, and they printed it on their site. Thank you so much, David. I also want to take a second to thank all of the podcasts out there that have been playing our promo in their shows. There are bunches and bunches and bunches of you. Uh, I just picked out three that I happen to listen to very recently. Uh, thank you to Marvel's Secret Wars and Beyond podcast on the Pulp to Pixel podcast network. They played our promo recently. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Thank you. And also thank you to Rolled Spine podcast, which was kind enough to mention us during their interview with JMD Mateus. Really appreciate that, guys. And everyone else who's been playing our promo, thank you. If you play our promo on our show, and I forget to mention it, just shoot me a quick email. I'm going to start trying to thank the folks who play our promo. All right. Now moving on to one of my favorite things in the show. This is where we thank all the folks that shared our show on their social media timeline. This is Facebook and Twitter. As I say, it's, it, it's almost as if I'm reading from a script, folks. I realize this is a long list of names. However, these folks showed their support and promoted the show. So it's really important to me that we recognize these individuals because our community is growing, guys. This time out, we're looking at well over 80 names, people that helped promote the last episode. So special thank yous to Too Old, Too New podcast, Al Girding, Professor Alan Quarterman, Pop Vox Culture, The Aquaman Shrine, Ashford Wright, Bill Beer, Brad Dade, Brother I, Buck Rillette, Callum Nauer, Cash Flag, Chris Franklin, Chris Lewis, Christopher J. Warden, Chuck Rodriguez, Columbus Comics Corner, comic book covers from different countries, Comic Reflections, Corey Hodgson, Craig 101, David Vanderberg, DC in the 80s, Disco Beyonder, Dr. Ange, Drasko Rognovich, Frederico Hernandez, Film and Water Podcast, The Geek Brain Popcast, Generation X-Wing Podcast, G.I. Joe, A Real American Headcast, I Am the Gun, Jack Dower, Jake Muir, Jared West, Jason Jaroslawski, man, I probably slaughtered that, I'm so sorry, Jason, uh, Jason Page, Jeffrey Brown, Jeremiah Parker, Jonathan Brown, Justice's First Dawn, Keith G. Baker, who I also hung out with at Heroes Con, Con L, Laurel Mountainflower, who I also met at Heroes Con, Longbox Crusade Podcast, Lucien Desar, Luke Dobb, who I also hung out with at Heroes Con. Noticing a trend here. Marcus Soroyce, Mark Baker Wright, Mark Lax, Martin Gray, Matthew Thomas Cody, Max Romero, Maz Inger, Michael Carter, I'm assuming he's not related to Booster Gold, Michael O'Brien, Mike Peacock, Mikey Flash, No One Equals Doom, Pat Sampson, Pod Dylan, Rad Adventures Podcast Network. Also hung out with Ruth and Darren at the Heroes Con convention. Rick Grimmel, Richard Gray Frost, Rob Kelly. Unfortunately, I hung out with him as well at Heroes Con. Rod Pruitt, yes, Heroes Con. Rolled Spine Podcast, yes, hung out with Frank as well at Heroes Con. Siskoid, Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour Podcast, Straight Out of Gallifrey Podcast, Superman Movie Minute Podcast, Task Force X Podcast, Terrence Castanguay, The 108 Sage, Tom Zoller, past guest of the show, and I did hang out with him as well at Heroes Con. Tim Price, Tim Rooney, Trabalus Bookhouse, Treasury Comics, The Table Round, Van Z, Warlord Worlds, Willie Arbro, and Xenozoic Xenophiles. My thanks to all of you for your support of the JLI podcast. Your feedback is such a critical part of the show, and this community of JLI fans we're building together is absolutely fantastic. You guys totally rock. And if I've forgotten or missed anyone, I'm terribly sorry. It was probably Tom Zoller's fault. Just drop me a note and let me know, and I'll be sure to include you in the next episode. Please keep those cards and letters coming, folks. Uh, our website is firewaterpodcast.com slash JLI. You can leave your comments there on the show post. That's probably the best place to leave them. That seems to be where the most activity is. You can also catch us on Facebook 
Facebook, and that's uh, at Justice League International Blahaha Podcast. On Twitter, we're JLI Podcast, or you can email me at jlipodcast at gmail.com. My thanks to Tom Zoller for helping me cover Justice League International number 12, and thanks to you listeners for such a great collection of feedback from that episode. Now, we're going to take a quick podcast promo break, and when we come back, we'll see if our basement dweller, Aaron, has come out from hiding behind those crates. In 2011, the irredeemable Shag and Aqua Rob Kelly teamed up to create the Fire & Water Podcast. In 2016, they teamed up with Ryan Daly, The Franklins, and Siskoid to form the Fire & Water Podcast Network. A network built on teaming up needs a show about team-ups. Marvel Team-Up. Yes. The Brave and the Bold. You know it. Marvel 2-in-1. It's clobbering time. DC Comics presents... Of course. Supervillain team-up? Good idea. Youngblood X-Force? Mmm, technically. FW Team-Up, coming this summer, only from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. After a long day of criminal activity, there's nothing I like better than to sit down and listen to the old radio. Wait a minute, that's not a radio, it's... Plastic Man! Plastic Man! Plastic Man! That's right, it's the Plasticast, a brand new podcast dedicated to Plastic Man. I'm your host, Max Romero. Together, we'll be talking about Plastic Man in the Golden Age, the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, and every other age you can think of, right up to his upcoming reappearance in DC Rebirth. We'll also be talking about any Plastic Man news that might be coming up, and his appearances in every media from comics to cartoons. Makes me woozy just to think about it. I hope you'll join me to talk about the longest arm of the law, here on the Plasticast, here on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Right, folks we are back from break and so all right aaron i'm sorry i'm done whispering can you please come out from behind the crates now i think mr miracle left this is ridiculous come right, come on i'm here i'm here mr miracle hang on i was eating some, uh, some oreos oh my uh, gosh john just left so john is not going to be happy about that buddy it's rats as far as he's concerned it's rats down here <sighs> all right fine well folks According to the script, this is the part where I'm supposed to say my thanks to Aaron for appearing on this episode of the show. don't really mean it, but anyway. Uh, Aaron, why don't you tell the folks where they can find you on the interwebs as I make sure you are evicted from my basement. Well, uh, normally you can find me in the sub-sub-sub basement of the Justice League International Headquarters, but after today, well, you can find me at my website, which is headspeaks.com. On there, I have links to all of my podcasts. I have many of them. I have Headspeaks, which is my main feed. That's where I talk about comics, movies, anything that interests me. We have the Task Force X podcast, which you've heard us talk about this episode. I talk about John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate comics from the late 80s, early 90s. 
Some great books. Also have G.I. Joe, A Real American Headcast. And on that one there, me and uh, several guests. Ryan's been on there. He's a regular guest. Uh, Kyle Benning. A few other guys show up here and there. We talk about the Marvel's G.I. Joe comic series. And we also talk about the cartoon series from the same time frame. Both Ryan and Kyle have been past guests of this show, folks, so you've heard them on the show before. And then we also have, I say we, it's me, myself, and I, (laughs) uh, the (laughs) Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. Again, I mentioned earlier, I look at the Will Payton Starman and the Mark Shaw Manhunter series again from the late 80s, early 90s. In case you haven't noticed, I've got a little thing going there. What, what could possibly have inspired you to do a Starman podcast? I can't imagine. Well, I was listening to this one podcast, uh, What's What or Where Where. I forget the name of it. And one of the hosts on there, he demanded someone start a blog for Will Payton. And you know what? Honestly, I've got this problem. When people tell me to do something, I do it. That's how I ended up married. <laughs> but... Uh, She's a lovely lady. Like, a terrible, terrible taste in men, but she's a lovely lady. Yeah, it's very, very, very bad choice in men, but that's another story entirely. But yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, Shag pleaded for someone to start a Starman blog, and well, I did the next best thing and did a podcast. Pleaded? I was thinking more of it as like puppet mastering, but whatever. You, you can see how to yeah. like. Whichever word you want to use. Right. And then occasionally my daughter, uh, she's nine currently, she has her own podcast. She's trying to follow in her daddy's footsteps. She loves superheroes and podcasting. She has a podcast she puts out every once in a while called Alexa Speaks. And then finally, not yet, but coming soon to a podcast feed near you, I will be doing a new one called The Krypton Podcast. Whoa! Uh, based on the – yes, I'm going to announce it right here. Actually, it's already been announced on the inner tubes, but okay. uh, this is the first time I'm mentioning it. The Krypton Podcast for the new sci-fi TV series Krypton which is a prequel, supposedly kind of to Man of Steel, and it tells Superman's grandfather's origins. Wow. So me and Pat Sampson from the Longbox Crusade, mm-hmm. we'll be doing that one. Man, you're going to have to like uh, keep up with the punishing schedule. You're going to have to crank it out every week as that show's coming out, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You already got the divorce papers filed. and <laughs> <laughs> Say goodbye to your children now, sir. <laughs> yeah, and I already kissed them all good. That's what I was doing earlier. So. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You had a good run. You had a good run. <laughs> yeah, no, what can I say? But no, that's that's where you can find me on the because again, I have too much free time on my hands, so that's where you can find me. And all of my feeds are available on the Headcast Network. I play all of them under that also, so take a listen. Fantastic, you really should, folks, especially the episodes I'm on because those are the good ones. But Aaron, I really appreciate you being here today. All kidding aside, you and I we've been buds for a long time. It's great to finally have you on the show. Um, the sad part is I didn't record any of this, so it's all trash. I'm just going to invite uh, Ryan over to do the whole episode all over again. As well as you should. I, uh, yeah, and I don't blame you. Or maybe that Captain Boomerang guy. But anyway. Uh, I wouldn't do that. Folks, that's going to do it. So come back next month when we are going to cover Justice League International number 14. And I'll have another guest with me to help cover the issue. Who's it going to be? Sorry, folks. You're just going to have to wait the next month to find out. Thanks for listening, folks. Until next time, I'm Shag. And I'm Aaron. And you've been listening to the JLI Podcast. Want to make something of it?
Waller, you knew when you sent your little suicide squad into Arkham, they'd go off script. Oh, it's just you. When your bombs didn't dice them, you figured the SCU would. All that, just so you could kill the Riddler. Let's just say I break a lot of eggs to make an omelette. And because you're a messy cook, the Riddler was able to escape. I got careless. My men will get Nigma next time. There is no next time. No? We're the U.S. government. Who's going to blow the whistle on us? The convicts? Who'd believe them? You? <laughs> You're going to start a blog and expose us? I don't think so. That's checkmate, Batman. I'm warning you. Enough! Don't they need you back in your squalid little city? They never did find the Joker's body, did they?